Oh, well, welcome, Internet. This is the game brought to you by Dungeon Studios. Uh, I am your host, Grom, the grumpiest of the old man Merwin, joined today, as always, by my co-host, a doctor who single-handedly shut down MK Ultra by virtue of taking all the CIA's acid in one huge hit, and all by himself. Dr. Pretorius, Doc, how you doing today? Doing all right, man. Doing okay. I figured I would get the government to shut us down from moment one. No, no, I was thinking about a few things that could shut us down, so that's that's good that you started it and we did yeah. get shut down. Let's back. just get that right out of the way to begin. How happy I am to be back. I can't uh, wait to complain about last week uh, and look forward to having a way better week this week. It is just myself and the doctor. We are guestless tonight. We're forced to talk to each other once again, which uh, was good to start. It didn't go so hot last week. But before we get into today's dumpster fire, let's talk about our shameless plugs. Uh, Doc, I believe we actually had fancy ad copy written by somebody. Do you happen to have that? <laughs> well, you know, the, the nice thing is I do have it, you know? Wonderful. So looking for a D&D podcast that goes beyond just gameplay, tune into the game with Grom and myself, Dr. Pletorius, the talk show that takes a deep dive into Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it, it does much more than just Dungeons and Dragons, I have to say that. Our hosts, myself and Grom, are joined by the occasional special guests to discuss everything from character development to campaign creation with lively debates, thoughtful analysis, and plenty of laughs. Our podcast is the perfect companion for any role-playing fan. Streamed live every Monday at 7 p.m. PST. The game brings you the latest news, insight, and trends in the world of D&D. And that is very true. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or a curious newcomer, our podcast has something for everyone. So join us for an entertaining and informational journey through the multiverse of Dungeons & Dragons. Tune into the game with Dr. Bortorius, myself, and Grom every Monday at 7 p.m. PST and discover a new level of appreciation for the world's most beloved tabletop RPG. How'd I do? That's pretty good. I think we, well, two things. One, you had, we, uh, we were going to make some edits to that because like you said, we talk about way more stuff than just Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we're going to get that fixed, uh, but I it sounded though, good. Man. And somebody's could, writing some damn good copy, man. Yeah, wow. absolutely. So shout out to our newest uh, victim. I mean, uh, friend of the show. <laughs> Uh, one of our writers here, who I believe is uh, firing, uh, taking over the Enron Chronicle, if I remember correctly. Oh, so yeah. uh, look for some content from her and her team. She is wonderful uh, in all that about, I know. Are you talking about A.M. Davies? I believe yeah. that is the name. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. Yes. Um, a lot going on uh, in the Dungeon Studios front uh, with our Volume 2 of course, our Kickstarter was funded. Go to dungeonstudios.co. You can check out our Volume 1 adventures, our Volume 2 adventures. We'll be up there soon. Um, yeah, we'll be up there soon. And now we're going to get ready to launch our next Kickstarter. Um, Droton, our uh, supplement for our first region for Eneron. So I'm really, really excited about that, too. Yeah, uh, I hear there's some playtest material coming down the pipe that we're going to have access to. So... We can start oh, yeah, mucking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. There's actually some new player options uh, that just came down the pike, too, I heard. Nice. A 52-page something. I'm like, there's so much uh, to do. We have another cool play test. If you're out there and you're a zombie guy, 
uh, defending a town. Uh, you and your party, not only are you trying to survive, but you're also trying to keep the town uh, alive during the zombie apocalypse. Uh, it's really cool. We got lots of great stuff uh, going on. Yeah, that's actually uh, a good topic for another show is mini games that you can play using the tabletop RPG rules. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I just had this... <clears throat> sorry, I just had this conversation the other day with my friend, and we were discussing uh, how bad I think the um, simplified Battletech game is from Catalyst Games. Everything they make is a dumpster fire. Um not a fan of the Shadowrun rules they've done, so let me be on record by saying I am hostile towards them. But <laughs> they also have the license for Battletech. They have a slightly more complicated version of the game, uh, but then they have a rules light version, and the rules light version is about as unenjoyable an experience as I have ever had. It's it it's too simplified. There's no real options. There's just not a lot to it, and. Um, well, I hope my friend listens to this episode and hears this so he knows yeah. that I've told our ones of fans that that game sucks. <laughs> uh, but what doesn't suck are some of the things that we're doing here at Dungeon Studios. Well, you know, and another cool thing we're doing yep. is the Fables from the Forgotten, which is an that. anthology series set in the world of Enron, which is, you know, where our modules are set everything. Um, and it's really cool because throughout our stories, you delve into the history of Enron, uncovering its truths, myths, and legends you're going to meet its bold heroes cunning villains and witness epic battles between good and evil very cool stuff um it's sort of like tales from the crypt i i you know i really it's it's hard just to like give the intro um and talk about our host is alabaster the storyteller yep um but I think when you talk about Alabaster, you, you sort of draw that uh, Crypt Keeper connection. Uh, but no, he's far different from the Crypt Keeper, though. He's much more, um, what's the word I want to say? Oh, he's not a shriveled little corpse? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's more surreal, I think. Uh, I'm very, I'm looking forward to it. Is, is there any in the can yet? I know, I know the production. I've seen the production team working. Uh, so we uh, we wrap. So we have uh, recordings in for episode two. Okay, uh, cool. Which every episode is two parts. The the first part is the is the uh, audio drama. So our voice actors go through an adaptation of a short story, uh, playing the various characters, and you get to listen to the uh, interrogation, I guess, if you will, or the um, trial, more accurately. How about of the, the patron could even be the judgment, right? Yeah, well, you get the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you get them. The, you get them as they died. You get into their story with the goddess of retribution and the god of grief and the dead. Uh, who are the Who are the keepers? Uh, Aerith and Oregon. Uh, so they interrogate the soul, get the truth of their story. And then make judgment on what happens internally. So we just finished episode two recordings. Uh, we got to go through, obviously, and Frankenstein all of this together now. And we have, uh, you know, we'll have that uh, waiting to go for release. And we, uh, we just started getting some work done on episode three's stories. So Neat, neat. And then for you silly folk out there, we have deception checks. Uh, and these are kind of fun. Uh, we have uh, some prank phone calls 
Um, and, and I didn't realize something else. If you start listening to all the episodes, they're all secretly connected like a campaign. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to kind of listen. Uh, uh, if if you're if you're listening carefully, when they go to uh, do the thieves' job, they're going up to Lord Alabaster's, but then El- Lord Aldor's place. Lord Aldor's place. Yep. But then, meanwhile, Lord Aldor is like a like. There's a couple of recurring characters, uh, and it's sort of, you can put it together like a campaign. It's kind of neat what's going on if you listen carefully. It's a oh. sort of little puzzle. All right. Well. You didn't uh, know that, did you? I did not. So last yeah, but not yeah, least with our cool. shameless plug for the day, just want to put it out there. We are always looking for playtesters, creatives, and consumers, people who uh, can help us build the next generation of products, contribute to our various projects. Uh, I know we ran into a problem needing some uh, extra voice talents for this last episode, which I think we have squared away, but we are always looking for other good, eager, and involved people yeah, to work our, with. I think, so. our next push, I think our next push, we're going to look for some DMs, and then we're going to look for some good, hardcore artists who are ready to stick on board Yeah. Uh, with Dungeon Studios. We had a lot of artists kind of come and go um, we're looking some people who are really want to be dedicated like the rest of us on the team wonderful uh, so all right so remember to like ready. share so, yeah just remember to like yeah. share and subscribe uh tell your friends about us if you like us on our live stream awesome share it to your page if you check us out with our videos on demand uh you know give us a, a like and a share there on the youtubes and if you listen to us on your favorite podcasting app go ahead and push that button send it to your friends download it Enjoy it and love it. Yeah, we're definitely, we're busy on Facebook and uh, you got us on TikTok. So help us out there too. You know, those like and shares there help us a lot. Uh, showing it to other people and getting it out on your page is great for us. So thanks. Yeah, we really appreciate it. All right. So ooh, let's hit up the shit that I forgot last week. This is a long one because, well, let's just go through the list here. Uh, I forgot to sleep. Uh, I forgot to write notes. I forgot to prepare uh doc forgot all of his things it was a rough week for both of us and uh for that i apologize it was a low energy week it wasn't that great we probably should have taken a powder but instead we decided to light ourselves on fire for your entertainment so uh (laughs) please enjoy we are behind a bit on uh getting out the podcast we had some uh difficulties i'll leave it at that uh with the editing process and uh, we're over that now there should be some new episodes coming out to download I believe we have 17 and 18 in the pipe, or 18, 17, 18, and 19, maybe? Yeah. So yeah. DM, uh, DM Blender, the No Fun DM, and last week's Disaster. So they'll be available for your listening pleasure. Feel free to join and enjoy, or laugh at us, whatever you want to do. But the most important thing that my foggy brain forgot to do, Doc, was to call you out oh, no. for your week in gaming topic. I kind of let you slide. Oh, Because uh, my brain don't work so good when I ain't got the sleeps. Okay. Uh, but I'm all fired up now, So, and uh, I had I had one of those days at work where I'm looking to run somebody over, and you're going to be it, buddy. Okay, so what are you talking about? What, what, what are you shooting? Uh, no, not, oh, well, okay, so not as dramatic as I made it sound. No, the uh, so I should have and wanted to uh, kind of dig deeper into the uh, instant kill scenario that you had presented. Okay, um, okay. And uh, call, give you a little bit of a call out for it. So... Uh, running through my list here, I see this. Look, we uh, we all make mistakes. We make calls in game that don't go so well. We fail. Uh, I have hundreds of stories about me doing that. 
So, uh, I will caution all the DMs that listen to this. Uh, you can take this as your day one DM tip, but uh, I don't think it's ever good to just auto-kill somebody by DM fiat. Now, you can certainly make it really hard for them to survive, but they should always feel like they had at least a chance. I mean, they're supposed to be heroes after all. So, um, one of the things I have in my list of stuff to talk about today is uh, unwritten as the un the not unwritten non mechanical rules. I guess non mechanical rules. Uh, that's that's my topic for later. But um, in this particular one, my thoughts on it were this. Now that I've clarified them, uh, you know, if you hadn't previously agreed with your group that there were going to be times when they were killed either cinematically or narratively or because they pissed you off then it's kind of a bad move to do that, unless, of course, you plan on booting them out of your game. At that point, do whatever you want to do because they're not going to be there next week anyway, so fuck them. But, um, you know, you got to be careful because, like, you know, like we had talked about a little bit, you can get you can create bad blood, you can get people, um, you know, that get real heated about that. It can impact real-world relationships. And it, it, it does create an instant conflict, and, and you spoke about that with your player, who's like, you know, well, what do you mean I'm just dead? You know, there was instantly a conflict about that. You know, and not every player is going to be that way. Some people will take it better than others, but uh, it's not a good. It's just not a good idea. Uh, I think the worst of it is that it, it does. It you cheated yourself. You let the player be in a metagamey douchebag, which is later in my notes, but I use it early. Um, you let him rob you and your game of what could have been a really good, like dramatic moment. You know where. You know, no one knew the the outcome, and it might have saved you a little bit of grief. Now you can rebut these. Uh, I'm certainly willing oh, to get no, into that. No, I think no, I think I think it's great. You're you're nailing me to the wall on this. Um, I think that's you know that's what the game is about is, yeah. is talking about these real situations with the game. Yeah. You know what happens. Well, uh, I'm not done. So in three and a half no, minutes, no, when no, I'm no. talking to my, talking to the internet by myself, we'll see if I went too far. No, but no, no. so um, no, but that, that was the big thing that I that that I took away from that was um. You know, you, you do you do need to teach the shitty metagame her lesson for you know doing that because what he's seen what he what I thought about is what he's doing is he's taking his knowledge and he's denying the other players the ability to get to experience the thing that he's trying to prevent. So if he's aware that Strahd is spoilers by the way, if he's aware that Strahd will try to seduce and, and recruit a player to be his inside guy. Like if he's aware of that kind of stuff and then he, so he's looking for somebody who he thinks is going to be, who's going to be the turncoat. Right. And then he starts doing things like shooting him when they're in the heart chamber, all to try to prevent the sudden and unexpected betrayal. That's great for him. Cause he knew it's coming, but for every other player at the table who doesn't know the module and doesn't know the story and doesn't have the spoilers, he's denying them that moment where they go, ah, damn it. I thought you were up to something. Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. I didn't see it coming. All of that whole range of emotion, that natural reaction to finding out the player either did or didn't betray you at some key moment, he has made it his mission to ruin that for everybody else because he doesn't want to let it happen to him. And it's because he knows about it. And that's, that's, that's terrible. That's bad on him. Really is. Um, you know, and I've had, I have. I have players in my home groups and things, some people that I consider family and love to death, that because they refuse 
to ever be at risk of losing, and they will not accept anything that gives them a disadvantage in, in, in a scenario, they ruin parts of the game arguing and fighting and demanding and crying that they're being cheated because they don't care what it does to the game or the other players. They only care that their character might suffer. And, it, and, and that shit drives me nuts. Absolutely drives me nuts, right? So, uh, not to just bitch about things, I had a suggestion of how that scene might have gone differently, where you still get to murder the guy for being a metagamey douchebag, but, but you get to have uh, a, a big a d- dramatic scene for kind of everybody else, right? So, have the Thrall show up, throw him right off the tower. That's great. And then have him follow him, like you said, like you did, follow him down, holding out, you know, grappling him so he can't try to save himself. Because they don't care if they die, but they know that you know. But they want him to, right? You right. Know, clawing at him, he you know he pulls out he pulls out a um, a potion of flight. They knock it out of his hand. You know he's he's probably got what like three by game rules probably three or four rounds from the top of the tower until he hits the bottom. Right. 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 Because I think it's a, it's like it's a couple hundred feet, right? It's a big yeah. tower. Hundred ninety. Hundred ninety. Yeah. I think I thought it was around that. So you could have had four good scenes. Of him trying to save himself, and then you fucking him out of it. <laughs> By the rules, of course. Right, right, right. But you know, but think, but think about that. So, you know, you uh, instead, of, you know, I mean, he can he can call you out for being a killer DM or being a dick or murdering him on purpose. That's perfectly fine. I I just got from the wife my uh, tears of the players mug so that I can indulge it while my party while my tabletop gaming friends cry at the evil that I do to them. <laughs> Uh, but no, but you could you you know you would have had that where everyone's like, oh no, we need to save him, or he and he's trying to save himself, and then like I said, the thralls are there just being dicks because they can because they don't care if they die, um, and you get a few rounds of that, and at the very end, hopefully he's learned his lesson without it having to be spoken because you're like, I'm gonna kill you. You can be like, all right, you know what? What's the last thing you do to try to save yourself? Uh, and then you know give him like a DC thirty or something stupid like that. So he basically needs a nat twenty to live. Um, right. But there's a chance, right? And he had a chance. You gave him a chance. It might be a small one, but you gave it to him. You know, and I, and I think of the, um, you know, how many times this happens in the movies. The Obi Wan gets kicked off the platform um, on Camino and throws the grappling hook out at the last second and catches the the um, the machinery and swings back up on the platform to keep fighting Jango Fett. You right, know, right. or Indiana Jones gets the whip back at the last second, slides under the door, that kind of stuff. Right. So, you know, you could have murdered him with that epic way out where he's really not going to live. Uh, unless he gets super lucky, but he learns his lesson. But there's, you have drama the whole time, and nobody can complain you took away his agency. You let him try things. It's not your fault the monsters were there to deny him his ability to survive, right? No, I, I, can, I, can I rebut for a second? Yes, go. Can I, can I rebut? Okay, now, first of all, I want to say everything you said has been completely awesome. Um, I'm glad that you brought this back up and, and we're talking about this again because I think it's excellent. Um, I think, first of all, the one thing I have to make perfectly clear is when we started this campaign, Yep. Uh, you know, he handed me all the Ravenloft stuff and said, DM this. So I want to say, too, I initially was not the Ravenloft DM. Okay. And you, and you always say, "Oh, you're a Ravenloft groupie. You have all this Ravenloft, Ravenloft." You Ravenloft. do, you do love it, and you do right. simp pretty hard well, for it. Well, well, well. Let me tell you that you know I built this you know Raven Brew campaign, and I invited I don't know 
15 people to join us to get like a big party going so I could fucking kill people. Yeah. You know, that was that was the whole purpose, you know, and everyone started with two characters so I could kill people. Um, and that was really made clear at zero and everything. Um, now, everyone else had lots of people have insta death in this campaign. Yep. Um, and I and I, I think I explained that too. I think um, this particular player too, and this particular player character hating the undead, and everything going on, the storyline was so hard for him to try to find Strahd's inside guy that I get it. And he and I even talked outside of this and he's like apologizing for metagaming. And then, and I'm like, well, dude, you, you were on your way to the tomb. You turned yourselves around and ended up in the heart chamber for three sessions. So I, I was like, I they're like, I'm laughing about it at this point. But um, I, I think it's, it's really, really, really important that I stopped it in the middle. So what you said about giving him the roles, you're yeah. right too. Um, that was another point. Well, well said. Um, and and maybe in all of the cases, when I look at, I played the insta death game with the mimic swallowing somebody, yep. and the and the ghost of Tristan uh, coming and getting someone natural form. Maybe I should have gave them some more agency. But those players were aware that someone was going to die. You know? right. so, no, I, I, so let me uh, let me let me uh, let me uh, interject there. Um, uh, I since uh, I was did not realize that you had laid out the expectation of insta death and uh, unforgiving, unrelenting murder early on. Uh, I will withdraw my point uh, about that. You have already laid out that this could happen, so there should be no bitching. Well, no, you know, I think I don't I don't want to say I, I necessarily laid it out. I did say you're going to lose someone and everyone else has been really cool when it's come to me and them. And I'm saying this mimic has swallowed you. You know, I rolled a 20. I rolled the damage. It's three times your character's hit points. You've just been swallowed by me. Now, here's the funny thing was, and I think I've mentioned this before, too, was they killed the mimic. I let them get the body parts. And this is totally gothic. They put them in jars, carried them around for a while, and it came back alive as someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, and then this character is reincarnated in Barovia and then was in the heart chamber. And oh, yeah, Strahd switched places with the guy that the metagamer tried to kill. Yep. So, so in a way, uh, I think it was that was the other thing um, I wanted to mention too. You were you said something. What did you say? Oh, it was you put it so well. You fucked with him because they met or gamed or something. You, you yeah. said something like that. Um. And 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 the answer to that is yes and no, uh, because I think what I actually did too was I laid in the plot bigger. Because uh, if you remember correctly, I had the cleric, who's another player character, come down with the uh, uh, the uh, 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 the raven, uh, the symbol of the raven, right? Yep. And she used, and, and they're always like playing with resurrection, whatever whatever domain they're in, they're always playing with it. I'm always messing with them, like it's never working right. Okay, 
So they try it on on this character that's just head insta death. Um, you know, and he was a Vistani and he was loved by um, you know, that whole the whole Raven, you know, cult and they've made friends along the way in the different places and this guy's found different symbols along the way. So I weaved it in that when they did this, these ravens sort of took their bodies to this carnival. Right. And now, now this character's in a deeper plane to try to figure out what the hell's going on. And now he can't metagame. And and I think I'm I'm challenging my friend now, because now he's gonna live in this little, you know, this little triangle because that paladin that died in that heart chamber mm-hmm. was part of the story. I mean, the the Maldición de la Cruz de la Plata is about the cross of silver, which is his holy sword. Uh, so the story is not over, even though this final chapter of Strahd's Castle is going to end for the campaign, if that makes sense. Right. No, I got you. Yeah. So uh, he's not out of your game. He's just out of this game. Out of this game. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that became my concession to actually give that player some more agency and to be because this is the other thing about that character Corin. Mm-hmm. He is a halfling ranger Vistani. I don't remember the exact uh, domain he came from. It was plagued by zombies. Uh, hated the undead, and just everywhere they've been going has been, uh, you know trying to destroy anything undead and hating the undead and this guy that he's attacked in the heart chamber he was attacking in you know on the stage in Cena when they all had to fight each other and and Kendrin Lear came back as a zombie and there it was again Corrin shooting arrows at Kendrin Lear killing him right on stage because they had to kill each other so you know these are repeated actions that have been happening over and over again and would make a great story, you know? Like, when you look back at it again, I still say, in the end, it's a killer story. Uh, and that's what I'm still crafting. Hey, is you know, uh, anything about the carnival, uh, the way that's all set up, I don't want to give any spoilers of that. Because that's where you can't metagame, and that's where I get to we get to reopen the campaign in a, in, in, a, in a year or two, you know. Continue it on. Fair enough. Yeah. Hey, look, as long as everybody, as long as everyone had a good time, I guess it doesn't matter what I think. Well, wait. Now I got to stop because we did have a major pause. Okay. I'll be honest. Let's let's continue the honesty here. So that character, that player, could not come the next week. So I really felt bad that he only had one character still in the game. The other guy only had one character still in the game. They were going to be down all these characters and be stuck in the castle by themselves. And I thought, this really isn't fair now. Now, the following week, we're going to be down another player where they'd be down two player characters. So I said, you know, we're going to be off two weeks. So now that player decided, hey, I'll ref. We're going to do Red Death. Remember I've been telling you we're going to test out our Red Death? Well, guess what? The other guy who got killed doesn't want to play Red Death with the guy who's refing who killed him. <laughs> I think he's had enough of that I'm getting killed stuff. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I would worry that your metagamey player is going to be a metagamey DM. Well, you know, and, uh, you know, and he's like, get ready to be killed. So I'm like, oh, 
okay, so now it's okay. So now you're the DM, and it's okay. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's always how it works. The instant death is a problem when you kill their character, but they're completely okay with it when they're running the show and they can do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah, that is the kind of awesome shit that people do. <laughs> All right. Well. As, as uh, Josh says, no bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right, well, I feel better, sir, having circled back to that to get that opinion out there and uh, make up for what was not a, a crisp discussion last week. So, oh, that's okay. Whew, well, we are, so I, we've already, in the midst of that, we kind of got part of your week in gaming. So is that? Yeah, that, that was really my week in gaming. The other thing really sad, the uh, Chronic Adventurers reached out again on Friday, and everybody was really down. And this is where I think that, you know, Maybe, you know, the powers to me may shut us down, but it seems like all my chronically ill folk are really feeling an uptick these last couple of weeks, the last few days, actually, uh, this last week. And I've even noticed it among some of my non-chronically ill folk, a lot of fatigue going around. Uh, I'm not going to get into any theories, uh, but anyway... Yeah, we definitely. Yeah, we do that. We'll definitely have the government take us off the internet. Right, so. right, right, right. But right, anyway... No. But there'd be really some really cool campaign ideas uh, right there. But, you know, when we played a campaign where we had a pandemic, you know what happened? What? We met a game, the spaceship, and just got off the goddamn planet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we did. We're out of here. That's uh, a, uh, a way to go. I'm with you on the fatigue thing. I, uh, I have been, and I'm currently still a train wreck, and it's uh, probably not getting better anytime soon, so. We uh, we will see how it goes. All right, so that was your that was uh, your week. Yeah, so we, you we were... didn't have a big week in gaming. I'm 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 sorry to say, and uh, I did. Oh, I did have um, another uh, test play for our monster fights on Friday. Oh, how'd that go? Went really well. Uh, we actually did the same monster, and then like we upgraded it. Um, we did run into an interesting uh, test effect. Okay. Uh, when creatures have an area of effect, when there are multiple creatures in the area, how does that play out against a, you know, uh, an, a, a player character when they're in an area of effect? Of oh, if they're if they're in two of them, or in three overlapping areas. Um, do you do that three saving throws? Do you do well, that that's that's advantage? that really is a uh, really is a matter of preference preference for your game right right um and how unfair that scenario is so you go by rules as written yeah it's three separate saving throws they're separate effects doing separate things that's what we had uh, the, that's what we had the discussion about now there was some there was some discussion because it's described that the creatures work in packs of three so you're already assuming that you know these powers are going to work together, right? Yeah, they're trying. Yeah, that's they're, that's what they're going to do. That's going to do. And then we had the idea of, well, what if three of them work together and if the area of effect just increases instead of the damage increasing, they get to increase their area of effect. Uh, if right, they, you could. Uh, yeah. So, I guess if you wanted to, for balance, for balance purposes, and you know, and to not you know, overwhelm uh, an appropriate level party, uh, it might make sense that they have the the rules written that when there are two of them, the, uh, you know, the or so you can only be affected by one aura a turn, 
but when there are, but if you are in an area with two auras, it's an increased damage, harder DC to save, and if there's three, it goes up again. So yeah, it, it can make it, it really interesting. It's really, really interesting. And then the other one is the individual creature has a lower CR. Right. And then when you put three together, it's yeah. a different scenario because it's, you know, it's three CRs. Right. Well, that's and, how uh, that's how hags work in, D in uh, the well, the one version of hags in D&D is that when there's a solo one, they have their own stat block. Uh, but when they're with their coven, they get access to like spell, they get access to cast like spells uh, and they have extra uh, abilities and powers that they don't have when they're isolated. Interesting. So this creature could do that as well. Uh, it's an interesting turn to take with it as well. It, it's neat doing monster design because you see where, you know, where rules is written or do you need to have something in here for this monster for a specific ability to, you know, push the economy uh, a different way than normal. It's kind of neat. I, yeah. I really enjoy it. I really well, that's it. where, like I said, that's where... Um, I ran into the same problem with the Titan's hull because it reflects spells. Okay, right, right, right. So having it reflect, you know, so originally I had it written down that it just, you know, the spell just bounces back. Uh, but then I then I quickly realized that having that it's possible for a player in the opening trap to be eating essentially six level like seven fireballs, okay. and right, that's right. that's probably a bit much. <laughs> uh huh. Uh -huh. um, so it ultimately worked its way down to uh, it reflects uh, half of the damage at a lower DC when you when you get hit by the bounce. Right. So for the monsters that have uh, the hull metal alloy, there's that they have a range where if they get hit with an AOE spell, uh, or or if they get, if they if they make their save or a spell attack is so is low enough, um, it gets you know a part of the energy gets re redirected. And in the case of AOE spells, it's specifically in there that that is uh, at half the damage and a lower save and everything. Because otherwise, you you really put the party, you know, it's bad enough that it's going to resist the damage that you fire at it automatically. It might save and take no damage. Uh, and then having it send a fireball, you know, 100% back at the, at the party... Um, you know, just by virtue of having this stat, this, this you know, these this rule on a stat block, seemed a little unhealthy, like a little bit too good, or too uh, too good for the monster, too bad for the players, kind of thing. Right, right. So it, it got scaled down a little bit. Now that's not to say that you can't have some problems, like if you get trapped between the hull and one of these creatures, and someone drops an AOE spell that they resist, you're now taking the damage for the spell hitting you originally. You're taking half of what the monster saved, and if any of that energy hits the wall you're next to. It bounces back and gets you a third time, so it can get pretty. It can it can be bad. It gets sticky. It can get sticky. And right. that's well, anyway, I didn't mean to turn into uh, monster design. But we can no, no, whole, you're good. Have a whole episode about that one day. But that was the night week in gaming. Uh, no regular campaigns, uh, but then I had my monster fights, and like I said, we're going to start Red Death this Thursday. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Actually, even if I get killed. Nice. So uh, I had no home game last week. Okay. Um, I didn't get to play anything. It's been crazy at work and in life. I might have to scrub my game this week because of a work oh, thing. I'm sorry. And you didn't get back to your playtest either. No. Oh, no. I, I, when? Like, I, 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 first of all, 
it is it is classic D and D style that I, we can't get the six people to all be free at the same time. There's always like two of them. Nope, that day doesn't work for me. Nope, that tower time doesn't work for me. And I'm like, okay, what I whatever. I it's uh, I I would like to have done it. It's not going to happen. Um, however, uh, what I will report though is that I have I I only have the final two rooms, so the boss fight and uh, the the pre the room before that to edit, and then I am. Uh, I'm closing the book on the Titan's Peak and just sliding that shit to the side and let it get homebrewed and, and put together. And I'm done with it. Um, and then I only have one more little little project to do before I can finally see the light on the other side of the tunnel. And uh, I'm, I'm project-free-ish. Yeah, I'm just kind of working on a little bit of esoteric uh, touch-ups, player handout stuff. Yep. Uh, little things that we saw, you know, we thought would feed well with some of the playtests. Yeah, um, I I would like to. I did that for one for Galley because it was a, it was a small it was a small lift. There's only so many things, only a few things to do. It's always nice to have something, you know, yeah. even if it's only used in one part. Uh, yeah, for, I for minor sections. So what I've been thinking about is, um, and I talked to Josh about this. So we put the Kickstarter out and we get feedback from people. And maybe the the adventures that we get, you know, positive feedback on people really really like, maybe uh, we can go and uh, take those and really gussy them up with, you know, uh, you know, uh, arts, you know, art and handouts and things. Stuff that maybe di- didn't you don't need to have, but it'd be nice to have like the Botel, for example. So you have the the player bio cards, you know, the artwork and their their description and their their little RP notes along with what they know. So, yeah, it's it, you know it'll be a nice little you know it'll be a page in the module. No, no, it'll look nice. No, no, we had it, we've also had the discussion where, um, you know how, let's let Ravenloft's a great example of this. Yeah. So if you're DMing Ravenloft, you can go online and find tons of stuff that people have made for Ravenloft that you can throw into your campaign. So what we're talking about at Dungeon Studios is, as we're creating this stuff for our own campaigns, maybe it's not in the module, but maybe it's at our website. Yep. So That's maybe, exactly where I was going before you cut me off. Yeah, yeah. And, and no, and I've been talking to Josh about more and more things like that as, as we continue to, and more and more things come in. Uh, what's the new map uh, design, uh, the new map software that came out? It'd be like really cool to go back and do our volume ones. Mm-hmm. With some of the new map software that's come out, and, and yep. re-release them with new maps. Yeah. Well, like I said that was that was my point. That's what I was getting at. Is that yeah. you know if you know we you know in in the Botel, for example, you'll have the lay you know you have the page there with the bio you know the bio page with the picture and everything on it. But how cool would that be to to put it out as a, a you know put it out digitally as a um, a little table tent? You cut it out, fold it up, put it on your screen, so it's got the description facing you on one side and the portrait on the other. Uh, you know, or if we put, you know, or have available, if we have a hardcover version, you know, stuff like that, nice handouts and all those kind of things, uh, and make them available. People that, people that back the Kickstarter, will let them get it maybe for free. Uh, and then everybody else that wants to buy the module afterwards, cause they're awesome, uh, can, you know, can, uh, get the basic PDF version for uh, a good price, or maybe they buy the premium one. Who knows? A lot to discuss. Well, we made it all the way to a plug. That was awesome. We did a great job. Yeah. Well, that makes the bosses happy. I, I think our, our, our ones of listeners might have dropped off because, like, God damn it, they're selling shit again. But <laughs> got to keep the lights on, folks. Sorry, sorry. No. That's, 
that's what we're doing. But, but yeah, like uh, yeah. So I'm to scrub my game, and uh, like I said, the that fatigue shit you were saying is is pretty significant. I've been run down. There's a lot going. There's a lot going on. And I know it's that kind of cold, grindy end of winter time of year, and a lot of people get sick this time of year, which often prompts a visit to the doctor's office. So let's take one now, Doc. What do you got for me? Well, I, you know, I've been thinking about different topics, and and I went over our old topics. Okay. And I have a very interesting one for you. All right, hit me up. Ready? Yep. Ta-da. Wands. Okay. What do you know about wands? Oh. Hmm. What do you know about wands and the history of wands? Maybe, you know, first mention of wands. Well, that's a, that's a, that's yeah, a very don't. good question. I don't. I thought so. So I'm thinking, okay, so let's, uh, let's dig through the sources here in my mind. So the oldest, like, real fantasy source I can think of would be uh, Le Morte de Arthur, which is the Arthurian legends. Uh, and in that, I don't... Um, I don't... I see, Merlin always has a staff. I don't remember if Morgana has a, has a wand or not. I think so. Might be wrong about that. Uh, and also, for those people that think there's anything original left in Hollywood or in media uh, who have seen Sandman where they have uh, his little fight with the devil, you know, I'm a werewolf, I'm a hunter, I'm a fadoodle bug, you know, they do that whole thing to one-up <laughs> each other. Um, that is just the duel between Morgana and Merlin when she traps him in La Morte Arthur. Uh, they, they start changing into different things uh, until eventually she tricks him into transforming into something she can tr- that she can trap him as. Uh, right, to get him out of right. to get to get him out of the way for a while. So, anyways, um, another, another rip off. Yeah, of course. That's, that's there's, yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> um, trying to think. So I know there's divining rods, and people would take parts of trees to find things that had special properties, like dowsing rods and that kind of stuff. And I know that a lot of um, a lot of power would often reside in very few hands and those people like pharaohs or whatnot would have some badge of office usually like a rod of some sort a scepter um not necessarily a wand but maybe uh maybe the powerful people having a handheld object like that might have inspired some of the um you know lore around wands people kind of see you know you know maybe it grew out of that uh you know old kind of thing so i don't know the historical origins i'm trying i'm racking my brain trying to think if i i've heard them i know they show up a lot of places like i said yeah yeah they do. Uh, they and they've been the, they're you know they're the MacGuffin uh in willow the bev morda's wand was a big thing that willow had to find and that's another one where there's lots of transformation right yep. they go through that uh transformation scene yes oh, wait, and that's in our uh tabletop cinema if you go back to youtube and check us oh out is there. it snuck another plug in there yeah we do i like it we do that Willow episode. Oof. All right, so yeah, so the best I got for you is that um, they would have come from as a tool for diviners, using the you know like I said uh, uh, you know bits of wood to find dowsing rods and those kind of things. Probably a Celtic druidy. It feels like a druidy thing, Celtic, okay. uh, back in the day. Um, but that's all I know. So you uh, you got the advantage on me this time. Okay, so um, it's really interesting because. The, you know, the sources I had, it was kind of weird to even find stuff um, because 
One is, you know, they're both called a, a history of wands, right? Yeah. And one of them references a 13th century Latin grimoire textbook entitled the Oath-Bound Book of Heronius. Okay, and this talks about two types of magical sticks, the wand and the staff. And, okay. you know, the wand is smaller and thinner. Um, and then it even goes into, like, specifically what wood these things should be made out of, um, if they should be virgin wood, what kind of growth they should be, like, really, really specific stuff. So when I think when they're talking about history of wands and they, they point to this one, I think it's because of the, like, specific you know, ingredients, you know, they're kind of talking about here. Okay. Um, but, but, uh, it goes back to Greek. Do you have somebody okay back there? Somebody's dying. I get everybody. Okay. So shoot a wand. I was opening my drink up. Sorry. Okay. So, uh, there's this Greeks, uh, have it in documentation, of course, in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Really? Yes. Um, and they talk about when a rod is used uh, to turn the people into pigs. Oh, see, so a rod, like, that's why I said that, okay. Right, and then that goes also back to the Egyptians. So the Greek and the Egyptians, and, and you kind of talked about this briefly. The Egyptians used rods, and you, you always see the death uh, coffins where they're holding yep. the two rods, you know, with the symbols. Yeah, the, the crook and the staff, yep. Right, right. I like to think of it, and, and a good way to put it for 21st centuries, it's sort of like their selfie stick or like their their <laughs> calling card. Um, and think about it. They went with the braids and the tassels actually were signs of their families and things like that. And they would go around in public. You knew who that was. Like, you know, that was their calling card. Uh, so you knew who people are. And then, of course, if they didn't use them, they could go out in disguise. See, that's how that stuff worked. Um, but anyway, so they weren't necessarily magical um in egypt but then don't forget the 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 reality and gods bordering on pharaohs and well, well yeah they thought pharaohs were gods on earth anyway so right right so so you know maybe those sticks did have some kind of influence on people uh even though they didn't have any magical power that's what they really talk about and why they have a lot of influence okay, okay. um now the weird thing is when I looked into that grimoire that we were talking about, mm -hmm. it's listed as Pope Harius Third. So this is crossing into the Catholic Church here with this stuff about wands. Um, the oath-bound book of Harinus, um, like I was saying... Um, and it, it crosses, you know, like, is this one of those hidden Vatican things? You know, we talked about the Vatican hiding a lot of that stuff. Mentioned again, 1862, we get into the French occultist, mm -hmm. uh, Elias, Elias Levy. Um, he talks about magic wands, magic cups, hexagrams, and pentagrams. Um, and then he... Uh, talked about translating a lot of Hebrew, but which later found out to be faked. Okay. Uh, so, you know, he got, he's considered wishy-washy, right? 
Um, and then I guess it was brought back in the author in the 1950s, a Czech author, occultist Franz Barden, um, was a concentration camp survivor, wrote a book, How to Use Ritual Magic in 1950 for Occultists. Really? Yeah. So this book um, really became one that people actually started using um, as like an occultist book, um, mm -hmm. an actual occultist book. Uh, then the article goes into how, you know, pop culture, and they go into Gandalf. So it's funny now. Remember, we were talking about this with dwarves, and my resource said that Gandalf was magic dwarf. Right. Now, this reference says that Gandalf is actually elf wand in ancient Scandinavian and in old. Really? So now it's sort of a crossover into the word wand with Gandalf that we were talking about. Uh, and Elf. So it's kind of more interesting uh, when you hear that other coincidence. Um, and then, of course, hmm. Frank Blum's 1900 Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Oz. Yep. Um, the Good Witch has a wand. Has a wand. Um, and then C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. uh, the White Witch has a wand. Uh, Disney. Disney is loaded with wands. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, they they give it up for uh, Harry Potter. Yep. It's again, uh, really bringing it into the forefront of culture. So then I was like, you know, I still don't have enough about the history. You know, we've talked about the Egyptians. So where did this, you know, really, 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 you know, really begin? And it's funny because then we get into... And I know some people, we lost our one listener. Uh, we go to the ninth century. Okay. And they were used in sacred rituals by the Zoroastrians. Okay. They call these instruments the Barasoms. Now, this goes back to what you were talking about in the tuning. You know, mm -hmm. they're looking for water and using yeah. different things like that. But now with Barasoms, what they actually did was they would collect bundles of sticks and bundle them together in one hand during the rituals and do things with them uh you know and hold them up or uh it's it's almost like a strange um i would say like movements um like a taekwondo or a you know using them you remember he was like talking about using the rope for binding Mm -hmm. using these movements with this group of sticks um, and then the sticks are all come together to have different magical purposes and things, if that makes sense. Um, so that would be predating Homer and the Odyssey. Okay. That becomes one of my early, early um, things I could find on it. Yeah, um, one, of the, uh, one of the things I would love to get, uh, have access to is a, a real detailed history of Egypt like what you know, what we know going back, you know, six or seven thousand years. Yeah, Egyptology is is so interesting because some of it is so skewed, um, and it's been skewed for so long that it's interesting how new and new dis new discoveries come out all yep. the time. That now I think it's it's also interesting to to note that in all of the literary literary sources except Harry Potter, 
the wand users are almost entirely evil. They're the bad guys. Sounds like it. Interesting. You know, when you think about it, it, it Disney Disney tends to have the good um, wand users. And I, I can say this. I feel like live stage shows have more uh, good wand users. When I think about live shows, hmm. I have wands just off the top of my head. But that's really all I found about wands. But I thought really lots of connections to games. If you have any, you can go go first. Yeah. Oh no, I do. Also, well, I so here's the thing. So I already have one. Uh, in fact, so um, uh, I used it as a I used it as a device in my last game, um, bundle of sticks for binding. So in the in in uh, I'll spoil really? my, I'll spoil my can I'll spoil one of my campaign tricks in case I ever publish it. Hopefully, nobody listens to this that buys that or. Forgets about it when they do. So uh, I had a entity in there. I'll try, I'll try to skirt around details. I had an entity in the game that, uh, you know, uh, was unkillable and had, you know, powers beyond comprehension and was um, serving the, the big boss, right? Right. <clears throat> and the, the party could not figure out uh, what to do, how to, de- how to deal with it. And then... It just so happens one of the players, while they were researching how to deal with um, uh, Gilfrida, trying to figure out what to do, it's like, well, you know, does the does the the woman's library have any st- old storybooks? I'm like, well, yes, yes, they do. Well, I want to find an old storybook and see if there are any you know children's fables in here about a witch in the woods. I'm like, well, yeah, you you happen to find one, and. And it just and in and in the book it describes uh, you know and the story is very similar to uh, like a Hansel and Gretel, uh, where um, you know in this case spoiled you know spoiled children run away from home uh, and then encounter the witch uh, who offers to make their dreams come true and make them happy, uh, and then they find out that they're you know that uh, it's going to enact a terrible price, so they don't want to do it, but then she won't let them go. Knowing that the you know uh, the you know the the father and mother will come looking and then they will be obligated to make some sort of deal with her, right, to get their children back. Right. Uh, so uh, the you know in the book the kids noticed that the witch was always very careful about where she left uh, sticks and brooms and things lying around, um, and she would never let three sticks three sticks cross over to form a triangle or uh, a sh- or the shape. Um, of what uh, a shape called a gestel in the game, right? Right. We never we never let the sticks form that kind of thing. Uh, and then uh, one day that the children kind of set up a bunch a bunch of things around the house that they could knock over uh, to trap the witch in the center of one of these shapes. Uh, so picture uh, it's um uh, two it's I'm trying to try to explain it. Um, you know. Uh, Two uh, sticks was it two sticks overlapping at the top? Perpendicular, but, parallel. Um, can you match? Like uh, like uh, yeah yes yeah, so like like a letter A. Okay. Uh, and then a stick that goes across the top, uh, and then a stick that goes across the bottom that forms the the little triangle chamber in the center of it. Okay. 
But they do this, and then the witch is unable to use her powers across the barrier. She's unable to escape to get them, and the children are able to leave and abandon her in the woods, not knowing what her fate would be because they never return. So they find this. They, they find this little bit in, in this storybook because the player's like, well, a lot of times these stories are based on myths and legends. So they find that by arranging the sticks in a certain shape, they can trap this witch who was otherwise proven to be invulnerable to anything they've thrown at her. So, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit bigger than a little bit bigger than wands. But when you mentioned the Zor- uh, Zoroastrians and the bundle of sticks and whatnot and those various things, I'm like, well, it's kind of close. It's it's along those lines. All right. So I have I have a cool I have a couple cool ideas for you. All right. All right? So something I theorized, uh, we call it a doctoplatoriusism. Um, I think about when I was talking about gathering the sticks and using mm-hmm. them for purposes and like ancient rituals, I was always go back to like ancient man, uh, prehistoric man, mm-hmm. or, you know, pre man. And, um, that first homoid that used the bone as a weapon. Okay. Uh, is that where there's some kind of race memory of a rod or a wand Someone wielding something. That first simple tool being such a huge yeah, leg up. Such a, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I often wonder about that. Um, they, they also talk about um, there was a point where uh, in our development where as scavengers, uh, humans or pro- proto-humans were breaking open bones of creatures and eating the mm-hmm. bone marrow. And the bone marrow accelerated our brain growth. So there in itself, the bone and bones became so important uh, and their shape and continuity. Then I thought about real games and how in the game, like monster bones could make really cool wand. Like if you have a wizard and he's got to craft a wand, like going to get a monster, certain type of monster bone. For a I like that. Like you know, the, the, femur, the femur of a basilisk to make a wand of paralyzation. Right, or or white dragon's arm bone to make a wand of cold. Uh, I thought it's such great, you know, things you could go. I, I'm kind of bothered with the Harry Potter uh, phoenix feather in the in the wand. Like, how the fuck did they get that in the in in the wood? Like, uh, magic, and, obviously. <laughs> so now I got one for you cosplayers. Okay. Um, you, you want to make a really cool staff, right? Now, this is one we used to got this from Staten Island, you know, where the vines would grow up on the support cables for telephone poles. And you could, like, remove them because they would twist around the uh, telephone poles. Mm-hmm. If you remove them on time, they would harden up into this really cool spiral staff, like a tree staff. And we all thought we were cool as shit in the 80s. We were playing D&D and someone found one of these in the woods and they're like, cutting it down. Like, I'm bringing this to the next game. I may or may not, in my garage, have a golf bag of swords that I've collected over the years. All right, all right. But, but chief amongst them uh, is a crooked bit of wood, a wooden staff that I've had since I was a teenager. You see, and that's what I mean. The stick... Uh, is still like a number one toy when you look at like the top toys yeah for kids to play with yep still up there oh they're everything they're swords they're guns they're staffs they're right, right. they're so horse whatever you need them to be 
the wand is so big and and there's so many ways to incorporate uh the wand in a game uh status symbol like we were talking about with egypt yep someone's handling it um i, I just think that that when i was like oh let me really look into this more and more uh yeah well here's on a on a bit of a segue from that the um and uh i wonder so so harry potter has the the wizard can't cast spells without without their wand and if they try to use somebody else's wand which this is comes up in the book spoilers um the it tends to break the, the magic doesn't work right or it tends to break the wand if it's not theirs, that's a that's a whole thing that comes. There's one character that yeah, uses, and they, and they seem to be bonded together, right? Bonds and the people with the person, right? Yeah. So I'm sure. So that I'm sure was lifted from Tolkien, where um, you know it's it appears that uh, when the wizards are without their staves, they don't they they can't use magic. You know, Grimma, that's why Grimma insists that they take the staff from Gandalf before he sees Theoden. Um, um, uh, Saruman takes Gandalf's staff when he imprisons him in Orthanc. Uh, Gandalf. Now that's, now that's, I'm thinking about Merlin. He gets imprisoned in the crystal right. by Morgana. But, you know, I think the staff was movie. I don't, I don't think the staff was literature. I, you know, okay. I keep I keep seeing the movie Excalibur, yep. where he's got the staff and he's got the flame. He's doing prestidigitation yeah. in front of everybody, getting everybody's attention, whatever he's charming everybody, whatever he's doing. But I don't uh, in in T. H. White once in Future King. I don't remember. I don't think I remember a staff really specifically. Remember staff or wand? Yeah. Well, like I said, like I think Morgana has a wand. I think that that. That's in my head for some reason. I might be wrong about that. But well, where I was getting at was so this Harry Potter most likely lifted that idea from Tolkien that, you know, without without the staff they can't do stuff. And I wonder where he got that idea from. Because the the deep lore in Tolkien is that the wizards are actually Maiar. They're essentially angels. Right? So they're super powerful beings, but yet they can't work magic without a stick. But they can reform. Well, they can reforge think, their I staff. Think, I think, well, remember, he named him Elf Wand. He named him Elf Wand, right? So right. dwarf name for Elf Wand. And, and I think still the human using a device or a talisman or an object is still very prevalent with all of them. C.S. Lewis, you know, there's, there's a passageway and there's objects. Token is far more onto the magical objects and things and objects, right? Like the ring. And, yeah, yeah. And He's then, very and, MacGuffin, a very MacGuffin heavy DM. Right, and then and then and then Lewis has got the the, the wardrobe and the portals and the doorways. Mm-hmm. So they both kind of go at a different. They both go at a different angle with where the magic originates, kind of thing. I, I really like that that the ring, though, that it's a ring of invisibility, but it's far more than that. Right, um, and and that first edition D and D didn't have that. Second, you know, I don't know if third, fourth got into all that kind of crisscross. I know my campaigns always did because magic always had a price. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious where that idea came from because like I, I don't it's not like it's not like every story about witches and warlocks and whatnot they had were you know, required them to have a wand or some object to use magic. But that shows up that shows up in Tolkien. I wonder where that's from. I often wonder if it's an allegory for twenty first century. Um, is an allegory for cell phones. Okay, everybody needs this device to do anything. I mean, I've, I've found at, if you look more and more into it, there's more and more allegory for everything going on in her life uh, if you look deeply into the book. Um, and I, and I, I, I dare say the duality of her son and her husband is Voldemort and Harry Potter. And she has to always face that. Um, oh, and they have the same wand. Hmm. I wonder what that could symbolize. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Let's get back on. That's, a, that's an interesting question. Uh, I will close out this segment with just saying there's a wonderful YouTube video out there where they replace the wands in Harry Potter with guns. Oh, my gosh. Hysterical. <laughs> Hysterical. Oh I, go I go into YouTube. I saw some crazy YouTube stuff this week. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. All right. Well, hey. So let's uh, let's uh, quickly what get into yeah. So uh, our topic for the evening, the first one, uh, is back from the brink, recovering uh, from the bads, bad session, bad fight, bad campaign. Um, you know the grind they call it. So I wanted to talk to you about that in light of last week's discussion and whatnot. Yeah, that's, that's know, another interesting discussion. Uh, yeah. So you had, yeah. So you had. Um, so like I said, you you made the decision to shift the dead characters into uh, another plane of dread, the carnival, so that they would be able to continue on with their story. That's that's a recovery mechanism. That's a and that's that's interesting. And it, again, it doesn't reward that. It doesn't reward them for doing the dumb that got them killed. But it does keep them involved in things, and that's a kind of a good save. So yeah, that's why that's one of the things I wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, kind of recovering from that. So, well, I, I think I think one of the most important things about the recovery of that is, you know, my buddy and I talked. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both admitted our shortcomings. You know, we were both able to admit we were wrong. Did you guys have a wand measuring contest? Um. Uh, no, no, I, I, I don't, I don't think we really had. I, I think our wand measuring contest was during the game when we were busy throwing, you know, memos at each other. And <laughs> I'm going to walk out of this game comment. That kind of, you know, immature crap during the game. Yep. I think, I think afterwards we really talked about it. And you know, like I said, we're friends, and we said, you know, what are we going to do? Um, I, I think. I think the thing that's really important about it is the impression for everyone as, you know, the game is concluding, who's going to want to continue? Right. You know, like I said, we're moving on to Mask of the Red Death, and I know this one player is like, I'm, I'm out. Um, and a bunch of us are going to play Red Death for a while, and then when we come back to the carnival, is that other player, you know, these two players had a conflict, we think you're going to be back in the game? Is it going to be a different game? Is we a different player? You know, so look, the whole thing is sort of in the wind, so that's the one thing I right. sort of like is I want to talk about time. I think time helps all wounded campaigns. All right. um, so sometimes it's important. Yeah. 
So did you come? So here's the thing. So did you? I'm trying. I'm trying to remember from the story. Did you come up with the carnival thing on the spot, or is that something you thought about afterwards as your solution to that? Uh, you know, that game getting so close to being a, a wipe. Well, I think uh, I can make a long story long here, right? Can I? So I, I guess it started when I started homebrewing the campaign and before I read Curse of Strahd. Uh, because when I started homebrewing, yep. um, I wanted to do a couple, hey, let's jump to this realm, let's jump to this realm, let's jump to this realm, and we'll conclude in Barovia. So as I was like uh, designing the different realms they would go explore, I started designing this real, what I thought was a really cool carnival map. Um, and I was really exploring assets. Um, and then I was sort of was mixing 2D assets and 3D assets. You know, they kind of do that with amusement park maps. Um, so I was really sort of experimenting this huge spread of a map. Um, and then I was actually started doing ads because, you know, um, the way you enter into the domain of the carnival is you get an advertisement or a ticket. You find an ad or a ticket and then you just sort of pass the mist into the carnival. So I was like finding all these old Barnum and Bailey ads and changed them into Carnival 999, okay. which of course is 666 upside down. And really I was just kind of experimenting with my digital software that I had just gotten. I made all this ton of stuff. Hadn't been working for Dungeon Studios yet, kind of working pointlessly, you know, but it made tons and tons of circus stuff. Um, at one point when they were in Forlorn, in the mountainous region of Forlorn, there's mines, which again is a never unwritten thing in Ravenloft law, where I put in all these different caverns and mines. They went into this one, which actually at the very bottom was Strahd. Uh, that was really where I had their sort of dinner encounter with Strahd. I'm in another domain uh, laughing at them. But in that domain, as they went through different doors, they could visit old domains they had been in and new domains, future domains that they were going to visit. So someone had actually gone to the carnival as a future domain that they were going to visit. Oh, and who was it? It was Corin, the halfling ranger that got killed in the heart tower. So like I said, it ended up weaving even better into the story because when they were in Forlorn, deep in the cave, he went to the carnival in the future and met the head of the carnival and her sword and didn't know what was going on and then ended up back with everybody and had his little, you know, everybody had sort of ended up in different places. Had their thing. Yep. Yeah, had their thing. And, and that was his thing. So it sort of even played even better now. All right. So you, you had a, okay, so you had the, some of this stuff kind of in the works to, to bail you out. Uh, and it was an easy switchover to to get from that scenario to. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this too. I want I want to say this because no fun is the guy, right? No fun yep. said he uses he uses only written material, right? Um, I I love written material, but what I do is I just throw it all together, so I have a framework that I can go any direction I need to go. You know, and, and, and that's what's ideal. And then I have, like, cool players. Like, one player, like I said, I invited him to bring his second player back into the campaign 
And this is a guy who's lost a lot of characters now, by the way, right? And he's like, no, 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 my character's going to stay on the boat and see his sorrows, which is even cooler because now I got characters in the carnival. I have one character in the Sea of Sorrows. We can restart this campaign wherever we want. Yep. You know, so it, it's kind of neat. Uh, and, oh. and, and I think I learned that back in the day, too. Um, I'm going to be telling our story tonight. So, you see, I, I design very, very chaotic, open-ended, multiversal campaigns, usually, um, which keep everyone on their toes. And the best part about it is you can slide in whatever you need to, just like the Marvel Universe. I like that. Right? Yeah, so what uh, so what I've always run into um, is I've is the the kind of the bad session. So uh, when I was younger, did not prepare anything. I just kind of relied on you know being quick witted, right. and that led to some very bad sessions. Like just nothing worked, and things kind of ground to a halt. And uh, it was uh, it it wasn't good. All right, I have a point to make. I gotta step away for a quick second. You go ahead. I'm How about this? You, you wanna you wanna get you no, wanna no, get into I, uh you wanna reread the ad copy or you wanna no, just no I got I got another one to talk about. All right, you start. I'll be back in like two minutes. Yeah, I think one of the times is when you know when you try to set something up electronically, you want to like give give your players a good visual demonstration. Um, and I tried to do this with the heart tower, um, and I used a side view and an overhead view, and and the first night we used it, I was not familiar enough with moving tokens around and how to use it um, and I was just trying to do it flat on an image because that's the way I was you know we use Photoshop software I talk about this all the time and I I do an open reveal and and I just put tokens on when we need them and really I should have been using a VVT um, so that the, the second night we came back to it um, I came to the owl there um, and, and set the tower up in the owl bear so people could start manipulating their figures and I could give people, you know, a little more option of what they were doing um, instead of me moving everyone around, uh, <clears throat> giving everybody more agency. <clears throat> Sad that I, you know, killed that character and didn't give that player any agency anyway. Um, but I think that's a really um, important mistake I have made in the past uh, is not effectively using that map um, for your players and really slowing down that combat game. Uh, the same thing happened in my Forlorn campaign. We were having you know, a war against the goblins and I really had not prepared a, a good enough battle map you know the amount of goblins i wanted these guys to take on and, and and the range and field and the scope that i wanted the battle to be and it started off and they were just pegging off you know everything i could i could dish at them so i really sat down and strategically sat up this combat encounter with this hill they were going to have to climb and where the goblins had hideouts and where they can secret tunnels they could cut through um, where they were going to drop hot tar during certain turns, where they could roll logs down. It, it made the combat so much better and so much more engaging for everybody. So I, I think one of the important things is when you do make a mistake is, is to stop and really think about, you know, how can I fix this and, and really make it better? Um, that's, that's one of the biggest offerings any DM can take is, is to be as reflective as you can. 
um, when, when, whenever you're DMing. So it's interesting to me uh, that you brought this up as our topic tonight, because sometimes when you fail, it's hard. Um, I know no fun talks about when you, if you, if you accidentally pick the wrong room connection while you're DMing, you should never go back and say you picked the wrong room. Just, just go with it. They figure it out. Just pretend the, you know, the castle's magical. I don't know. I, I'm sometimes really on the fence about that, and and I'm not sure. Uh, since I feel like I I, I want to come clean, clean to my players and say, look, I I messed up that room number. Now now here's the thing again. I took the time to prep uh, that module right. So, so I didn't make that error uh, when we were when we were trying to execute the maps. I hear Merwin scuffling back in here now. So I guess Merwin's biggest error is something going on. Are you okay, Merwin? Everything? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. I had I had to like hop over the obstacle course that I created by putting up the banner that nobody can see because the camera we, isn't working. <laughs> Run took care of something, and of course something else went wrong along the way. Then I'm running back down here. So well, I've talked about a bunch of different um, things where I've messed up, and, and I think the big thing is to stop and be reflective in all in all three cases I just talked about. Okay. So let's let's hear somewhere. You yeah. So it. yeah. So okay. So well. So so what I what I so what I've had happen in a, just kind of a general sense is not be is not be prepared for a session, um, and you know players show up and. Just whatever I had off the top of my head was just what it was garbage for whatever reason, right? Uh, encounter didn't make sense. The, they weren't interested in the plot hook. There was a lot, you know, the uh, events going on, they were just kind of checked out on. And the, the game kind of turned into uh, a bit of a slog. Like, you know, like combat can do this. Um, well, combat does this most often. Um, in, can I ask a question? Uh, VDT or Theater of the Mind? No, no. The, oh, well, no. Um, sorry. Uh, well, the story I'm referring... These I'm referring to were actual ta live tabletop games. Live games. Live okay. games. Yeah, live game uh, with miniatures and everything. But So combat can sometimes be a grind. In, old, in the older system, this is before we were very sophisticated, right? Um, if it was on the battlefield, it had to die. Like, you had to kill... Everything had to lose all of its hit points. Everything had to be done by the rules. So if mon you know in the rare times when monsters would break and run, um, it was round after round of just dice rolling, arrow fire, and nonsense to chasing them down to make sure that everything got killed. Um, so that could be very that could be very grindy. But what I'm what I'm referring to is, is sessions that um, play out kind of the same way, where it's just like everyone's doing everything because they kind of have to and nobody's really into it and you're fucking you know you're not there you're half asleep or thinking about something else and you know or the game is just just goes bad for for whatever reason so i've had a bunch of those so when i was younger i didn't really the i didn't really have a fix i, I did exactly what you know what you said at the end of everything you were talking about and i was like all right hey you know what man like um all right i suck this game sucks <laughs> i like, I'm sorry, uh, here's a couple hundred experience points, and uh, we'll play next week, and we'll, you know, I promise not to suck again. Um, I didn't, I didn't really have a solution. So, for the, for the grindy stuff, like I said, I, I, I'm, I don't know what to do. I know modern gaming, like I said, if the game starts to drag, the, some of the, one of the tips is, this is what I want to talk to you about, 
one of the tips is if the if the narrative part of the game starts to drag, like you said, you're uh, you're in the bar and nobody wants to talk to the NPC that you have as the hook. Nobody wants to do you know you know nobody wants to have any interactions. There's no inter-character stuff that anybody wanted to accomplish. They're just like, I'm gonna buy a beer. Okay, I'm gonna gamble. I guess. I'm gonna flirt with the barmaid. Like no one's no one's doing anything that moves right, the game right. forward. Yeah. You know the the modern wisdom is it's like well at that point you got to make something happen. So you, that's when you throw in a fight, or you know somebody runs in. Oh my God, the demons are back! And then you know passes out. The classic, uh, you know, classic thinking, Western trope thinking, thing. I was thinking the classic run in and pass out. Yeah. That was my next one yeah. that throws people right in. And right. There's no questions because yeah. the guy's passed out. So maybe a, maybe a note on him too with a map. Yeah, of course. Oh, right. Well, yeah. So yeah, like insert insert plot hook here. Yes. So so this is my question. So um, I don't know that just you know uh, having the Gerblins attack because the game is is bogging down is necessarily the right solution. So if you're in a session and nobody's into it, right? Do you do you call it and try again a different week? Do you think that's better than slogging through it or do you think throwing a fight in there is a way to go? Or do you have another idea on how to recover when that kind of shit is going on? Uh, I, I, I have to say one thing. I am spoiled because um, I think because of my disability, my crew is really cool. I space out a lot or I, oh, I, got, I can't find that window. And they're just totally cool. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's logs. And they just start talking about something. So then I get back to the game and I'm like, hey, can, can we be, you know, and they're talking about like cats, you know, or right. something. And I'm like, hey, can, can, can we get back to the game now? So I'm spoiled in that aspect where my crew like to socialize when I space. So thank you, uh, my crew, uh, for doing that. Uh, cheerio, cheerio. Um, but I think like with the Girl Scouts and stuff like that, Ooh, it's 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 a tough scenario. Um, well, so I was gonna say. So I, I, I was thinking about that while you were saying it. Like, oh, <laughs> be like, oh, hey, everybody, you know what? Hey, guys, I, I suck right now. Let's take five minutes and we'll reconvene. Yeah. Like, like my 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 weekly game now. You know, a couple of guys are smokers and whatnot. So, um, and and they're friendly, and they're we're all friendly outside of the game. So I could do that, and and people would go out smoke. I mean, there's shit to do, right? But I wonder if a lot, you know, if for for a lot of DMs and a lot of games, and your Girl Scouts might be the best example of this, given the the age. Like once once you lose them, and like, hey, you know what, guys, let's take five, go, you know, check your phones or whatever. Once you lose them to doing something else, like I don't know, you get them back. I remember, actually, I remember this from when we were younger. Is some shit would go down, and you'd have to dig a rule up, or it was going to be a minute, and people would start playing magic. And once they started, they weren't going to stop. Well, no, I'm gonna, and I'm going to tell you because here's the other one. Those Girl Scouts are millennials, and they are already, you know, they're playing D&D, and they're doing something else. Oh, God, I hate that. Really? Already, I mean, they're already doing – I mean, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind where, I, where I've said a few times, hey, are you with us? But, I mean, that's been, that was the same thing through virtual school for these kids. <coughs> they were, these, these same girls I was playing, you know, D&D with online because I'm sick. Um, they, they went through virtual school where they learned how to 
do something while they're online. You know, it's the Jetson theory, right? Everybody's seen the Jetsons doing something else while. Sorry, I'm I'm struggling over it back. Yeah, I'm sorry you're doing so bad tonight, man. I just don't, no, I just I didn't want everyone to hear me cough, so I was like I, I muted it for a second, and like I was like, please God, don't ask me for an answer. No, you sound like a cat person. Uh, no, I'm good now. Balls or something. I'm good. I'm good now. So okay. no, so that's okay. So that you brought you bring up another an interesting point. So. Uh, I think taking a, so let's just back to the main topic for a second. I think taking a break in session to recover is going to vary from group to group. Like you said, some people, I think once you, you know, their, their involvement is tenuous at best and, and it's hard to keep them engaged normally. I had players in my group recently that were like that, where if it wasn't their turn in combat, they were fucking on their phone. You know, right. kind of thing, and then you're always like, hey, "What's going on? What?" You know, or the, or the, and this shit drives me drove me nuts. They would start talking to another player at the table, whose turn, who 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 wasn't acting right then and there, about out of game shit. So then now it's two people that can't pay attention. You know, and it just it just you know cascade. It, it was yeah, it was. I mean, that's the one thing I really like about when I do monster fights. Yeah. Um, because when everybody's playing, and maybe two or three of us or four of us, everyone is talking about how it works. Like we're all figuring out how it works together. Um, and everybody's cool. Like when people can't figure out resistances, people are still trying stuff. Let me try this cold, even though I know this is a cold creature. Let me try this out. You know, and it's neat when you have different players. So it's very different, I guess, because the game is open. Right. Uh, so maybe that's another reason why. Um, I guess. I guess it's it's like teaching. When you're a DM, you sometimes you're pausing for drama, and sometimes you're pausing because you're clueless. How do you keep your players entertained while you're pausing, right. no matter what it is? Right. Yeah. Or uh, you or you're using the pause to test uh, comprehension and attention. Or build suspense. Yep. You're using the pause to, you know, build the suspense. So yeah, so so if you, I guess if you have if you have a group of people that are good about it, your chronics and in my current game, not that big of a deal if you had to take ten minutes to kind of regroup. It, it probably wouldn't ruin wouldn't ruin things. They probably appre- and they probably would appreciate it because you come back and instead of having uh, a full session of this of the grind, they come back and the second half is better, right? right. But um, I wanted to delve into more what you're saying about the Girl Scouts. So. Um, you're playing online. It's already hard enough to keep them because they've been conditioned to to do two things at once. Or are they just are they just or have they just learned effective ways to not pay attention when it doesn't interest them? And, do you, um, and I, think, do you, I think it's I think it's they've learned to do things at once. I think this goes back to what we were talking about uh, in the five rings with the bus driver wearing the earbuds. Uh, we're sort of we are we are sort of in a society now where you're you do you, you always do two of everything, and I think drive even driving. Who doesn't have their phone doing something for them when they're not driving? Uh, I listen to podcasts like this right? one. <laughs> so I mean, everybody's always doing so many things simultaneously, no. um, and that and that good players are not going to do that. And I think when that's happening, I call it out 
right. So um, that's what I was about to say. So do you let yeah. that do you let that slide with the girls or? I usually let it slide with the girls till the end of the session, and I let someone know privately. Okay. Like a classroom, you don't you don't really want to embarrass everybody. Um, and I think even with grownups, in that case, yeah. you don't want to do it. I think I may do it with grownups because I tend to act more immature with people my own age. Right. Yeah. Uh, that I do with the younger kids. Yeah, I don't feel uh, I don't feel like an adult in my mind. Like um, I don't. <laughs> now he's. Here's what I when when you when we lost you the first round, I was talking about something No Fun said in one of his videos okay. about D and D and a mistake. Um, he's talking about Castle Ravenloft, and there's lots of verticality, and you look at the map, it's very confusing. Make sure you look at the 2D and the isometric, so you don't make any mistakes. And then he says, if you make a mistake, whatever you do, don't retro and go back and tell them you made a mistake. Just just, just, just have them go wherever you have them go, and and pretend the castle. Oh yeah, no, that's that's a hundred percent. That's a that that is. See, I'm I'm, and I just said I'm fifty fifty on this. Why, why, why are you not like we don't know? Let me get I this mean, straight. And I think it depends how far down the rabbit hole you are. All right, well, let me. I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you a lesson, right? Okay, go ahead. Teach us. So a I learned I learned this in my in my professional life, uh, with the line of work that I am in. You never want to assume. You never want to assume for somebody else what they know or don't know, or they think or don't think, because you will prevent yourself from getting a good result by doing that more often than you will save yourself from a problem. <clears throat> so in your case, right? So you screwed something up. If everyone's having a good time, none of them are going to know you screwed up. So why? Why put that seed of doubt in their mind that you make mistakes if you can successfully spin it into that's the way it has always been? For example, um, I screwed up in my last session because I forgot how I forgot how recharge works, and but it was way cooler that this, that that they had to worry about the ghost appearing and trying to capture somebody new every round while they were contending with fighting their own their own party member. So even though mechanically I screwed up. You know, and maybe, you know, who knows, maybe some of them will go look at what a ghost can and can't do and, and be like, oh, well, that's not how it's supposed to work. Maybe. But it, it made sense in the moment. It, it made for a good scene. Nobody questioned it. I think, I think, I think the thing is, I, I think it depends, again, how deep down the rabbit hole I am. Now, I, I want to say this, first of all, I haven't had to do it because I watched No Fun's videos and made sure I know where these different staircases go. And I watching my numbers, what rooms go into what room. So I've been really cool with it. But I, I can think of cases where it has happened, um, especially using all this homebrew stuff that I was using in all my Raven brew, where I might go to the wrong column and start reading the wrong room. But if I start reading the room and I'm looking at the map and I'm like, oh, this room has got furnished chairs and... Oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong room. To me. Oh, well, that's okay. Well, that's hang on. That's two different. That's two different things. Okay. So if you if you make if you're going through your notes and you know and you make a a, a technical error, which I this I've done before, uh, where you know you describe a character, you know you uh, somebody asks, oh, you know, so who has that gold amulet? Like, oh, yeah, 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 so and so has it, and then you find out ten minutes later, like, oh, fuck, no, they don't. That's different because that's that's something that's established. And it's, it's not, 
I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. It's not. It's not an error where you have misplayed something. You just read the wrong. You you know you read the wrong prompt. Right, and, I, and I, maybe maybe I'm misjudging it because I, I think then I guess I think I know what he means. If I've gone that far down the rabbit hole and I wasn't paying attention to what room they're in, I, I just gotta go. I understand you just go with it at that point. You're like, especially if you've had some kind of combat or encounter. Yeah. Well, think about it. Like, if you know, if they if you they really go up, can't back up there, I get that. Yeah. Well, it's the thing. I mean, if they go up, like I said, if they go up a different, if they go up a staircase and you read the room three instead of room two, right? And they're already investigating room three based on what you told them. Like, there's no, there's no. I mean, unless there's something in room three that they absolutely shouldn't see yet. I mean, I guess that's. I guess that would be the point. What's the impact of stopping, right? Of of continuing on. So if you read, I guess that's a point too. Yeah. So if you read, if you read room two instead of room three, but neither one of them are plot dependent, like you've just swap where they're at the map. They'll never. They don't know. Right, right. You know, right. you know, and, and again, if there's something specific that needs to be in the room, like there's a statue in one room that leads to a different room, and you can't switch it, like if it's going to mess the game up really bad, that you know, then no, you make good points. You admit to it. Know. If it's if it's something, if it's a if it's a minor note glitch, like oh hey, I start, sorry, I started reading the description for the for the second room, not for this room, but you haven't given anything away. Fix it. Yeah, I just I just wanted to bring that one up because I had mentioned it when you were gone, and, and I felt like that was one to talk about. But I, I see what you're saying. I mean, once you're that yeah. deep, yeah. And, and I think again, the nature of the games are different too. The the Girl Scouts, I'm busy rolling random dice, and they just keep beating new creatures and new things keep getting added to the yeah. campaign, as opposed to the Raven Brew, where you know I'm following all this old yeah. stuff and I'm restatting stuff for Five E and. Right, well, let's talk about my favorite thing: killing players. And this is the this is the big one, the the big fuck up, right? So, have you had a game where players are in an encounter that you weren't intending to be life, like life or death, or a party wipe? Hard, maybe yes, and resource draining, sure. But some random fight where it looks like you're gonna everyone's gonna die, and your your whole campaign's gonna come to an end. How do you think you go about fixing that? What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know what? I can I can honestly I say I think I think I saw that happening with the Yesterhill in my Raven Brew. I had them climbing up the hill, and I was mentioning their forlorn battle with the goblins, and how I had set up this really good map, and you know had all these tactics set up. So when they were doing the Yesterhill. I sort of did the same thing, and they're really powerful. I mean, they're really high-level characters. They're getting ready to go to Strahd. I was like, can I, can I, how, how much can I challenge them? And I turned the heat up so much that there was a point where I was like, oh, man, this, this could get really bad real quick here now all of a sudden because I had Strahd show up on a nightmare, um, these druids, they, and they had split themselves up. Uh, and then their player decisions sort of weren't very smart. Um, they weren't together. Like, they, the whole thing sort of went sideways. Right. I pulled the NPC to the rescue. Um, I think the players felt it was coming too that they were in they were in dire straits. 
So earlier in the campaign, they had met, I don't remember the name, one of the werewolves. Okay. uh, In in Barovia, and they had killed the werewolf leader. uh, Because you got to remember, my guys are kind of old school. So once they met a werewolf in Barovia, they just killed it. Right. Not realizing that there was some kind of power struggle back at the den and made friends with, you know, uh, one of the werewolves that was very happy to have their leader been killed. This werewolf was also read in their cards as being their ally in their time of need. Now, the time of need card is is referred to as the battle with Strahd, like the werewolf was supposed to go with them to the castle. Mm-hmm. So I saw this as an ample opportunity to say, hey, Werewolf's coming in right now at Yesterhill to save them because they're all about to die. So I was really able to, to to weave it into the story, have this pack of werewolves come in and eliminate a whole troop of, uh, you know, of creatures that I had sort of over, uh, you know, economized on right. them. Over, over... Uh, I guess over, uh, overtuned. I'm, yeah, I, I, I want to use the right word. Yeah. Um, overtuned is a good one. I would say CR is stands for crappy rating system. Yes, uh, it does. T- it it <laughs> it might be it might stand for challenge rating, but we all know it means crappy rating system. So, so you know, and you talk about the challenge system. That that could be a whole, weird. Me, that's a whole other episode. Yeah. Hooray! So okay. I've uh, I've come close. So I've come very very close to wiping. So okay. So first of all, that was I a used lucky to save. That yeah, was a lucky save for me. So save. I used to play back in the day, and there was I did nothing. Like if you died, you died. There was nothing. I didn't care. That the fucking party could wipe at any moment. I'm like, well, I guess we'll start a new campaign. And a lot of times they killed themselves off by, you know, in party fighting, which was always entertaining. So I had a lot of flame outs there. But um, as I've gotten older, I. And, and that's what was sad for me about these last couple weeks, by the way, because that's what it turned into. But go ahead, continue. Yeah, no. The, uh, so as I got older, I realized that that's not. Like I'm in a weird, I'm in a weird place with it. This was one of the reasons I thought of the topic because I was talking about some of these scenarios. I'm in a weird place with it because I don't want them to think I saved them ever, and I don't, and I don't, I don't really want to. I don't want to. I don't want to, uh, you know, manipulate the threads of fate that to that extent. But I mean, I, you know, and I, I, but I, I, there, I've come close to times where I might have done it. Like I had. Just a random encounter with wolves in the forest, and nearly murdered a party of five. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, and and sorry, you know, five no, fifth level characters, and I'm like, I was sweating. I'm like, I'm like, oh, they're gonna fucking die, like, and I and I wasn't going to save them because I'm like, I I don't have I first of all I don't I could not I didn't have a plot device to do it. I'm like. You're in the middle of the wilderness. You're in a bad area that you knew was going to be deadly. I'm like, I don't have anything. I got. There's nothing that makes sense here. And I always remember. Uh, there's a, you know uh, one of the reasons I don't like modules. I remember getting the um, one of the uh, introductory sh- um, Forgotten Realms modules. Right. Um, I think it's the I think it's the Dale series. I think. 
But it has a thing right in there. If you think your players are going to die, um, you can always... It's like you have the option to insert the following scene. And it's Elminster, who's the super, super powerful Archmage, the most powerful character in Forgotten Realms, randomly shows up walking down a nearby dungeon hallway with a small dog. He holds a wand. Mm -hmm. Wands. Uh, holds a wand and is giving commands to the dog. Finally, in frustration, he, 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 you know, he flicks the wand towards the party and just yells at the dog, Heal! 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 Which activates the wand of healing he has in his hand and randomly heals the party if you feel they need help. Like, they actually wrote that shit into the module. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm offended. That is horseshit. So, you know, so I've almost lost parties. So, you know, and in the past I used to just let them die. I didn't care at all. Now I have that hang-up where I don't... I don't want the party to get wiped and the story to end because it's, it's, you know, it's a good story. We're all invested in it. So it's, it's, it's not like it's only in your interest to keep the players alive, Right. It's in their it's in their best interest too, but well, you don't want to cheat the game. I think I think again, <coughs> this goes back to design and game design and session zero. Uh, and I was going to mention in, in my update internet update, um, Matt Coville, MCDM. You know, after all the the, the OGL stuff, they're making yep. their own game. His yep. video I saw this week, and he's talking about the setting for their game. And the setting for their game is going to be high, heroic fantasy. Yep. And he made it very clear, this is not going to be horror. This is not going to be gothic. It's not going to be about death. It's going to be about being Yeah, heroic. cinematic, tactical, heroic gameplay. You know, yeah, and, I and watched a video today, too. And, and I think that's the thing, is that um, at Zero, you really need to talk about what is your game plan. Is everybody really on board? And have you really crystallized what it is? That's the important thing for a DM, um, because like I said, my, this one player in my campaign obviously didn't get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now I do have one more example before we get to story no, time. No, I, no, these are good ones. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Right. Before, so no, I, I got one more, and then we can get to story time, so we can take a break because it's getting late. So um, I ran into it, but I, I also ran into a problem where I built in a, narr a piece of narrative that was conditional on how the how the game went. It it was it was it wasn't I didn't build it in there to to I didn't build it in there to, like to save the party from dying. I built it in there because it made sense. And what the scene was is the players, get, you know, they have a a, a tribe of refugees, um, beaten, battered, exhausted, starving, that they help out and they get a and they get a, and they you know they they find a cave the um, the NPCs do to hole up in to hopefully rest and recover for a day or two. While the party does some things and and you know gets food and whatnot, and I have a time I have I have a timeline in the game, and the while they're in the hill and the party's there, the the enemy that's chasing them arrives, and then the players have a choice: do you do you flee with these people, go on the run, and now we're going to have a, a kind of a running battle with these marauders uh, as you try to escape, or do you do you stand your ground and and you know, have what his, what do you have? What the legends will one day call the Battle of the Hills, right? Uh, so at the end of that, I have a thing in there that the 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 old seer who she's doomed anyways. She's gonna die. She dies at the end of the battle regardless, right? 
Um, If the bad guys overrun them, they kill her. If you know, if the you know, if the party just totally stomps the enemy, which is what happened the second time I ran the campaign, um, then you know she gives them a little speech at the end, and then she just dies of old age, right? Um, but the, and the other, but the other scenario is that she, you know, she goes into the whole heroic sacrifice thing. So I'm like, okay, cool. So if that happens, she dies. The totem, the to- the sacred totem they, that they went and recovered for her explodes in her hands, uh, and it does cold damage to all the enemies on the hill, and it heals all the pe- all the allies on the hill, right? Okay. So I have that in there. I'm like, it's okay. It's a neat little thing. So if you know if the fight goes great, that's not necessary. She passes away at the end. If the fight uh, is going terrible. She sacrifices herself to try to save everybody. Um, and then, obviously, if it goes really, really bad, they just run up and kill her before she can do anything, and it doesn't matter. So we got to this part in the game, and the the party was doing well. They had they were kind of on top of things. Um, but it, the last fight gets hairy because it's a it's a lot of numbers against them and and various elements. So ultimately, it comes time for the sacrifice. The the Polyseia, the, the spiritualist, comes up on you know comes up to the top of the platform, uh, tries a couple of times to off herself, <laughs> right, right, through the ritual and keeps getting interrupted because they're, they're getting swarmed at this point. So she gets fucking knocked down, um, you know, uh, by you know she gets knocked down by an enemy. She pops up and at a crucial moment, you know, is recovered enough, uh, puts her hand in the totem, finishes the ritual, it explodes. Damages bad guys, heals the heroes, and that's what turns the fight, right? And I got, I got, and I got done with the, I got done with the end of it. And everyone's like, "Oh man, that was cool. You had all the terrain and stuff out, and that was an epic battle. We planned for it for a session, and oh, it was crazy how it went at the end, and we we were doing so well, and they started overrunning us, you know. And then one of the guys comes up to me, he goes, he goes, he goes, yeah, I mean, that was a great game, man, but uh, it's like I saw what you did there. Yeah, yeah, she offs herself to damage them and heal us. I saw what you did." And I'm like, God damn it! Like I didn't cheat to save you. It was it was scripted that that could happen. I go, let me show you the note. And I showed it to him. And he goes, Oh, so did you write that because you thought we were gonna lose? I'm like, No, damn it! It's been written for fucking five years. I wrote it. I wrote it as part of the fight for the first time I ran the campaign. Like it's it makes sense, doesn't it make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, but it kind of feels like you're saving us. And I'm like, I go, dude, I go, I definitely am not saving you guys. You know, and he. I think to this day he believes I saved him. So. Well, you know what, and and that's a player. That's a player belief. That's just like this player in my Ravenloft, when he said to me, "Oh, you saved, you saved Kendra. You saved Kendra." I said, "No, Strahd saved. No, you saved Kendra." You know, it's like, dude, chill. I at some point, as the DM, you do have the power of life and death. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing, the thing we both mentioned, NPCs. As the out here, and I want to mention some other outs before we go anywhere. I want to talk about one environmental out, have some kind of natural disaster, tidal wave, something else the players could maybe ride out. Okay. Um, could be an interesting option instead of an NPC. Um, another one is, which is always fun, and I did do this back in the day, it's all a dream. Everyone See, I would died. feel real. I would feel really cheated if you did that to me. Well, I think if there was a good point where maybe there was a creature they had encountered, like a mind flare, or something where you could spin it that it was a you know a memento type. You forgot what had happened. 
uh, things somewhere in there that can be playable and different than just an NPC. Um, I don't know. Just I just throw it out there as an idea. No, 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 not, not, not. It's not. I'm not, <coughs> saying, I'm not saying it's bad. I do think this is my. Uh, I guess my ultimate point with that before we get into our stories, I do think, I do think you got to be careful because, you know, if a game's going bad, right, you do want to try to save it. And like we talked about, you know, if it's sl- if it's a slog, maybe take a break. Maybe you, you you just call the game that night. You fix it. Whatever. If it's. <clears throat> I I think it it also goes along with what you were talking about with players. Now, this player that lost this ranger that he thought in his mind is going to kill Strahd, his bard, he feels like his bard has nothing to do now because he was so focused on this one player thinking to kill Strahd. He's got to figure his buy-in again, or I've got to figure a way to get his bard to buy back in. You know what I mean? Like, And that's my job as the DM. Just like it's my job to decide who lives or dies, I've got to be proactive you know and and initiate some kind of you know uh, engage him somehow no, you know? no it makes sense does that make sense if if, if i offer advice to dms out no there, it does it no it, it does keep engaging your players even when you shut them down like that yeah no it uh, does make sense well like i said i think you know um trying to hide you know you know again uh I don't. That's a, wait, we didn't talk about that either. Just give everybody a plus one weapon or something. Like, give them some divine inspiration to try to get through something mm. instead of an NPC. It's another little thing you could try. Maybe. Give them some dice odds. Just give them some higher dice odds somehow. Just put that out there as an idea. Nah, kill them. Fuck it. <laughs> All right, uh, it's uh, it's midnight. Let me. I'll give you the choice, Doc. We can get. We can. You, I, we can. You can tell your story. We can take a break, come back and finish up, um, or we can plow into topic two and just skip the break. What do you want to do this evening? How uh, are you I think feeling? I'd like to tell. I think I'd like to tell a story. All right, uh, tell a story, and we'll uh, and we'll uh, set the. Can, we'll set up a break. Yeah, I can condense it a little bit. Um, no, 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 no. Don't. I mean, okay. Part uh, one, we take a break. Yeah. Part two, yeah, yeah, Second yeah. topic, and then we're uh, we're in bed. So. Yeah. Uh, all right, so so uh, this story has to do with a uh, a campaign I designed, or more of an adventure I designed, as a reunion, a D and D reunion, back in 1994. Um, now I remember it started back in the 1979 in the in the, in the box days, the white box days, and into advanced first edition into second edition, and I traveled around. Um, I played with people in New York, and then I had a group in Philadelphia. There's a group in high school, a group from college. Uh, then I had some different people from Staten Island during college age play with me as opposed to kids I played with in high school and junior high school. So in the 90s, mid-90s, I was living by myself in the Poconos, and I thought it'd be really cool to get everyone I ever played with together for a D&D weekend. I had never heard of anything like this in my life. You know, there's no such thing as a D&D cruise or, a, you know, or D&D in a castle or whatever. But I, you know, I'm living in my parents' house in the Poconos. Let's invite everybody um, I can to this thing. Now, there's no, in, you know, internet is just sort of coming out. Everybody doesn't even have email at this point. So I'm writing everybody's snail mail letters Um, But what I decided to do was the first round of letters that went out to 15 people 
were all just riddles and puzzles of satanic in origin with no return addresses, like all kinds of weird puzzles and things as people opened it up. Um, and then I had set up this whole uh, weekly mailing thing where different uh, parts would come out, little introductions, and then introducing people's characters. Um, and then eventually came out as an invite uh, and the dates uh, for everybody to come. So out of the 15 people, I had 14 people after five mailings say that they would be able to make it. Um, so there were three more mailings that went out. And then the last three mailings had all this different um, iconic iconography from hell and different pictures from classic Dante's Inferno. Uh, and then meanwhile, I am uh, cherry picking the characters of these players that this is going to be their god quest because there really hadn't been anything like that designed yet either so all these different players from all my different campaigns are all coming together and they're actually going to be going to hell um, and one of the characters is named heat miser the third and uh as you can guess heat miser the third i think i've mentioned him a few times uh there was a heat miser the first a heat miser the second and a heat miser the third in those let me kill everyone days, those anti-paladin days. Um, well, heat miser the third was trapped in hell, but this was going to be the basis for this whole thing was heat miser wanted to ascend to devil ship. Um, and we had a halfling named Ged. Um, and I really, what happened was everyone started gathering at my house. These 14 people had all received these mail uh, clues and different hints about the campaign uh, started arriving at my house and these first two characters, the Heat Miser and Ged this Halfling, who has also have been trapped uh, in another layer of, of hell, uh, found a book and sort of got this device, uh, this metal case filled with watches. Some of the watches were broken, some of the watches were working, and he had a chance and met heat miser and i sort of dm different sessions up in the loft of my house and these guys went back down so sort of we had like a cocktail bar set up for everyone who was arriving uh that weren't playing so everyone could kind of socialize and meet everybody if they were from different campaigns or they had never met before or whatever now different players would come upstairs and i would do their opening so sort of that opening night as everyone arrived that Friday night, everyone had an opening session and got to like have their opening with the DM. Sometimes it was two or three characters, uh, depending on alignment or what planes they were traveling from. So then that next morning, we all hung out, we're all drinking, uh, having a great time Friday night. We stopped playing D&D &D and just started socializing. Uh, but the watches themselves were still getting passed around. Uh, it was almost like a social drinking game. We're all having fun with, hey, what the fuck are these watches about? It's great, right? So the next morning, uh, you know, a bunch of drunk guys, we all got up late, uh, and we were up in the Poconos. We all went out for breakfast, hanging around, brunch, drinks, the whole thing. We come back for a mega session of D&D, &D, and we meet at this city called Mordron, which we had used throughout the campaign, but it was thoroughly redesigned uh, specifically for this campaign. Now, 
they have to go to the Labyrinth of Mordron, which is actually a random dungeon, which I had designed years ago. And everyone's like, oh, we're going back to the Labyrinth. Because, of course, there's a shortcut to hell. Everyone's been tasked with these letters that have been going out to kind of get back to the lowest plane of the Inferno, the frozen ninth plane. Um, something was happening. They had to get there. Either the good people had to get there to defend something, the bad people had to get there to save something. Whatever was going to happen, that became the focal point. Well, man, everybody is messing with everybody. These are like super characters, just cantrip. This would make him beard grow on this one. That would make him that one's pants fall down. And snakes are coming out. It, the thing just went went off the rails it just went completely haywire um uh but um they were able to eventually they all made it down to the to the frozen plane of hell you know not, not to make the story too long and you know the bbeg from our old campaign shows up as a kid and all the good characters had to protect him <laughs> and all the bad characters needed to kill him uh, so that way they could take over and become the bad guy in our timeline. Uh, and it was weird. It was sort of a weird crossover where now all these good guys that I had for years had been the good guys were now defending this guy I had secretly woven as our bad guy through all our many different campaigns in all these different worlds uh, was the same bad guy um, and they had to defend him as uh, he just sort of made his way through to a stairway uh, to leave and sort of enter into reality in the past where he caused a whole bunch of other things to happen when we played with everyone back in the day, crossing over with this magic cube, yeah, long before the Avengers used the Tesseract and all that stuff. So it was really cool. So this... Big climax ensues where they're all on this frozen plane. We have a battle map set up with thumbtacks because there are no VVTs at the time. And people are going up and moving their thumbtacks around. And, of course, um, the entities, the evil entities and, and the gods are, you know, all these beings are here at hell and everything's about to implode on itself reality itself um so i have all the characters are changed into chess pieces the game becomes really uh abstract where all the good characters become white chess pieces all the evil characters become chess black chess pieces and they're all set up in a weird dynamic very unusual on the board um, in fact, one player is actually playing two characters. He's got one character on the good side and one character on the bad side. And now they're all taking moves as their chess players. But now they're rolling an initiative. So now this game is like intense and people are getting moved off the board. And now they don't know what's happening. Um, like when your character leaves the board, are you erased from reality? What's going on and the game started reaching a really really surreal point um as we started getting down to the last few chess pieces and everyone's cheering on which side they had ever picked on and and that's where i guess we uh take our to be continued and i'll finish the story when we come back from the break 
Alrighty, well thanks for hanging there with us everybody. We'll take a little break. Uh, I think the loop runs about 15 minutes. Uh, we'll be back sometime before that uh, with uh, for the second half of the, of the story, second topic of the night, and uh, for me, a whole bunch of coffee. So we'll see you on the other side. Dark Mysteries. I'm your host, Sean Carroll, and tonight I'm going to be telling you a mystery. A mystery in which you will be attempting to solve in the chat below using yes or no questions, and I will respond honestly until the mystery is solved. Tonight's mystery is titled A Breathing Mountain. A party was gathered, a dwarven cleric an elven mage, and a human barbarian. They requested to meet at the dwarven town of Mightsfoot to adventure into a fabled mountain for a top-secret material known as Death's Bone. Their journey was delayed by a bandit attack, but they proved victorious. As they were now not on schedule and now late, upon their arrival, Mightsfoot was gone destroyed and almost completely flattened. As they were investigating, they realized there were no signs of life. The dwarf, who was proficient in his perception, then casted his gaze to the fabled mountain, noticing a large portion of it missing. He then began to have a heart attack, dying as a result. The mystery? What destroyed the city? and what caused the dwarf to die. Remember to drop your answers in the chat below, and if you enjoyed our dark mysteries, please leave us a like and follow. Do you have what it takes to solve the dark mystery? Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. What can we do for you? Hey, I'm Vic. Uh, Vic Mascatoni. And uh, my crew and I, we got us a heist up there at Old Outdoors Place in a couple of nights. Now, uh... All right. 
We're trying to slay the dragon on this one, if you know what I mean. Uh, so what I need is a, a few high-quality lockpicks, you know. None of that uh, cheap crap that you sell the commoners. Uh, so what's a rogue got to do to get a good lockpick? What do you got for me? Uh, well, we don't sell parts, but if you're needing help getting into something, we can send a technician out. Ooh, that's even better. So I tell you what. You send them up to Aldor's, right? You bring the lockpicks, right? We'll cut you guys in on the heist. Do it 50-50. Uh, Alright, um, is this heist in a car, a house, whatever? Uh, it's up at old Aldor's place. He's he's sitting on a, on, a, on a mountain of gold up there. And we just need to get in there and fill up our bags with as much of that gold as we can, you know what I mean? But, uh, you bring your lockpicks, you show up, we'll split it 60-40. I'm not sure our insurance would cover us sending our technicians. I tell you what, I slide you 2500 up front. Nobody's got to know nothing. You come with the picks. Well, I'm not the technician. I'm just the dispatcher. Well, get me to the technician. He might, might want to make 2500 Um, okay. What's the address? And that's going to be up at... Way. Okay. In which city? Uh, what are we calling here? We're calling Portland, right? Yeah, it's gonna be in Portland. You said way? That's correct. Exactly how it sounds, ma'am. Yeah. All right. Is there a business nearby? I'm not able to pull that address up. Uh, well, you wouldn't be able to pull it up because it's uh, old Aldor's place, and uh, he keeps it under tight lock and key. Why we need the picks? I don't think we'd be able to assist. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll go on down there to the next locksmith and see if they want to make some money. You have a good night, huh? You
Hello, this is Spring Hill Suites in Hillsboro. Brenda speaking. Hello, this is front desk. Mm-hmm. I am Grigory Liv... Levushka. I'm 87 years old and I'm here to this country to visit my great nephew. So I come, I stay at your hotel, yes? Are you asking if we have availability? I am not pleased with stay at hotel. Number one. Oh, you're not pleased. Why, you, why you no clean room? It, it stink like orc piss in here. <laughs> like camp of filth. I am so sorry, what room are you currently in? Number two. Next door neighbor bang on walls. Like how you say to owlbears. They fight. Fighting. <coughs> you know, owlbear. You're in room two? And number three. The toilet growls like beast. Is giving me stink eye. It's make very uncomfortable for me. You know? Basically a bucanil spiller bushka. Would you mind continuing this conversation on your room phone? So you help me? No. Uh, with the housekeeping? Da? The toilet has teeth. It have teeth. Why have teeth? Is normal? Yeah. Is normal? Um. I'm sorry, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what's going on. If you wouldn't mind coming to the front desk, I wouldn't mind assisting you. I, I'd be there as quickly as can. But if sounds you, good. You follow the sound of what sounds like two owlbear making love on second floor is no good. All right. See you soon. Thank. come into work today. Is everything okay? I can't see. You can't see? Something wrong with your vision? No, I can't see myself working today. Bye.
we're back. Doc, how you doing? Can you hear me? Sorry, I had a little, I had a ma my own mic malfunction there for a All second. Right. We're good, though. Well, yep. we are back. This is the game brought to you by Dungeon Studios. Uh, thank you for sticking out to us, sticking with us in this late hour. Um, we have second right. half of Doc's story. And All then, right, so uh, we get right back. A little more chat. Story. Go ahead. All right, so... Uh, what I didn't tell you in the early part of the story, I told you the 14 people came, right? And everybody was there to like to do a God quest. There was one player uh, who, who had actually been like the big time DM for us. He's like, no, I, I think I want to play this new class, uh, Deathmaster. I, I don't want to play one of my old characters. So I was like, cool, make him a certain level, whatever, whatever, whatever. So we're back at the chess game. And everybody's starting to die. And, and we're actually down to the, the good Paladin ends up being the winner on the chessboard. Um, but then I, I turn to everyone and I say, all right, so everyone uh, that has a working watch returns to the prime material plane. Now, if you remember the beginning, right, Merwin, you with me? In the beginning, we had these watches going around on a party on Friday, yep. right? So I didn't know where the heck the watches had ended up by Sunday, you know, by the finale session here. Um, so, so everyone is just in shock, right? And I have no idea. And sure enough, the guy playing the death master not there for his god quest has a crown royal bag and he has collected all the watches from everyone and is the only one that is going to be returning to the prime material plane it was a flawless ending like i you couldn't have written, i couldn't have, i couldn't have wrote that you know and um, it's, it's one of the things I think is really cool, uh, how we had a real object became a key component of the game and I completely lost track of it, but it was the big thing at the end. And then they had taken it under their own power and it was really cool the way it turned out. So I, I think that's a cool campaign story. It was a great reunion with friends, uh, some people that had never met, we had people playing D and D, uh, all different versions, all playing together. It was great. It's a great nice. time. Good time. So did he? So wait, did he know that there was some significance to the watches, or did he just assume that there was and hoarded them? Or, um, I guess being the Death Master, um, and he knew they were all going to hell, he made it his quest to try to get all the watches from everyone. And here's the thing. He did it without anyone knowing. Like, he kept it secret as he was obtaining watches from everyone. Right. So people had been, trading, had been trading them around and then... Right. Like, Friday night, it had been like a big... Well, mine's not working. Well, mine's working. My, and somehow he worked out between the ones that were working and not... Maybe he collected all the ones that weren't working. Like, I don't know. I never got the whole, whole story, but he ended up with all the watches in the end. Maybe everybody got drunk Friday night and he stole them. I mean, like... I don't that know, could he, also have been... Yeah, did he pickpocket them? So it was kind of neat that the game had an outside aspect. Um, and it was like sort of like a little McGruffin surprise ending 
for everyone at the end, including myself, which made it really fun. Um, you know, I could see I could see you turning that into a a little mini game thing where there's there's a certain there's some number like you said like you said there's some number of 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 curios little white elephant gifts if you will and then during the gameplay there's you you know you have worked in opportunities where they have to exchange an item or but you physically move those things around and then at various points obviously uh you know who you know who has the jade statue right oh you have it right now i'm sorry you know then yeah. and you could do that you know have give out boons and punish people and have it tied up, you know, up, obscure things. That, that, I, I could see, I could see that making for a very fun and very like a very cool social one shot. Uh, you know, where you get together and play, you know, for a single evening, and you play introduce that the, element. Real, I really see it, you know, with you guys that play at live tables, too. Yeah. You know, especially with and these people that play with models. Why can't you be passing like a cursed coin around the table? Oh yeah. Uh, or something, you know this. I remember one I did was a um, a rock that I had found very very like strange shape, uh, but then I did markings on it and saw like how many ways it could roll or spin or or land so to say and I mm-hmm. think it was like I think it landed thirteen ways and then I marked them and then of course they were all different odds you know when right. I had no idea but that made such a cool magic item. You know, and it's Weird so intriguing thing to figure out. Yeah, I like I like bits and props and things to play with. I unfortunately I am a fucking fidget when it comes to that stuff though. So <laughs> I got you got to keep it away from me because I'll 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 click the pen and and do all the things. So all right, Merwin. So keep us on track because I, I no you're no you're good no so no I wanted to, so second half so um, I was gonna say this is uh, uh what I was taught I swear <clears throat> hi, hi good morning I'm gonna start cold? again no you clearly not. Clearly not. So what I was going to say was this. I was having conversations about last week's show with other nerds in real life. And one of the topics that came up was, like I said at the beginning, uh, going through and explaining to your players, hey, look, we're going to use some alternate rules for instant death. So you jump off a building, you're dead. Uh, You know, somebody ties you up and they cut your throat, you're dead. As opposed to using hit points. We talked about that a little bit. Right, and then that got me thinking about this, and I wanted to ask you what you have and what you use, and go through some of mine. Uh, rules in your game that there are no mechanics for; it's just the way things work. Like, uh, like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm like, try, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, you can go ahead if you want to give an example. Well, no. So, so the end. So that that was well. That was I. Those are that. Those are the ones I had given to start. Was so. Um, you know, characters that are tied up, you know, and, you know, get to get murdered, get murdered. Like, that's just, that's just okay. it. I can, I can definitely say this. I know that, like, in my Raven Brew, mm-hmm. um, I had a setup where a character disappeared in the mists. She woke up bound and trapped by Tristan in his tomb as a draw for everybody to find her. And I said, you're not playing your character. Uh, this is what she sees. You're playing your other character with the party, and you're trying to find your sister. Um, it helped build suspense. It helped, mm-hmm. you know. So in, in that in that respect, I, I think I guess I, is that is that a good example? 
Well, here's the one I here. So here's I was trying to think of things that I do in my game, right? That that are rules for the game that don't have a mechanic behind them, or that replace mechanics. And this is the the big one that we that came up because the guy I was talking to was playing Tomb of Annihilation, and he was frustrated because the party rolled bad to find a a, a little journal that had a bunch of lore bits in it that he are crucial to the ongoing story. And the party just whiffed on finding it. And he had, you know, and he now he's trying to scramble to figure out how he's going to get this information delivered to them. And it got me thinking, I go, well, hang on a second. I go, one of the things that uh, I have started, that I have done more and more over the years uh, is, is use that, you know, use the idea of passive stats. So you don't have to roll, you know, you don't have to roll for everything. So, uh, it was, you know, was, the classic one was the, you know, um, well, I'm always, ter- I'm always looking for everything because I don't want to be surprised. So I'm always on alert. Okay. Well, that's not realistic. You, you know, I'm not going to give you 8 million perception checks every time you move five feet. So how do I deal with that? And that, you know, and that led me to the system that I use now where there, where there's, you, um, you know, you have. I'm gonna I'm gonna slow you down so we don't get too long winded because I I'm gonna I'm gonna agree that I have already started experimenting with passive abilities. Yep. I think the other thing I think about a lot of times too is what those characters would do in this case. Right. Well, hang on, let me let me before you go, go on to that. So so I started with the idea of having the passives for everything, right? <clears throat> and then what I've evolved to now, and I do it as I write notes uh, for you know write notes and in the game is i've just laid out there that your characters know things that you don't know and i'm going to fill those gaps in if you ask about it or i'll fill them in when it's appropriate so going into a room you know and i call for a perception check i know there's there's things they're going to find even if they roll shitty there's because i just i assume that they're good enough at looking for things that they're going to find some information, right? Um, you know, where's the the DM that I was talking to during the week? You know, his players rolled like threes and fives and twos to search for this book. And he's like, well, I guess they can't find the book then. Well, I mean, was it really hidden so great that any attempt to look for it, you know, that, they, that they had to roll well? He's like, well, I have to have a number for it. And, you know, I had to have a DC for it for them to find it, right? And I'm like, do you really? Like, you want them to find it? Make this, them make this, the check. Yeah. Yeah, we're in that we're in that same situation again, where you know yeah. the DM's really the person in control. I've I have heard you know listening to the different suggestions, some people talk about it being more time. Like if if your characters all roll that low, mm-hmm. you could say that it takes them a really long time, but eventually you find the book in the drawer or something. Um, so I know I know I have done that um, for low rolls as well, just being sort of the effect. Uh, of being the thing but I, I really like i said switch more to passive a lot more unless it's a very specific thing they're doing merwin the other thing I, I think is really important is that i like characters i like players mm-hmm. to say what their characters are doing not what the player wants to do i like someone to say um uh, St. Bartholomew is going to investigate that door. I may not even say roll an investigation check. 
You know what I mean? I'll say something like, oh, there is a large doorknob and keyhole on this door. Uh, it seems like, it seems, it's really big. Like, like he's not a rogue, you know, like, but I'm going to give him something at this point because that, that's what he said. Like, I like that when someone is playing their character and then they need the role for the reason. Now, that person rolls really high at that point. I might say, yeah, St. Bartholomew does realize that this door, yeah, he's thinking it might be trapped. Uh, now, is that really Bartholomew's gig? No, but the high roll pulled it out. Now, if he had had a low roll, it, it, instead look at it as a high roll as being more of a bonus and a low roll being nothing, instead of the roll bowl be, being a takeaway every time. How about that? Is yeah. that well, that's, that's what I was saying. Is these are things where I'm, I'm, I've gotten to the point where I'm... I'm I'm not even using the role. Like it sometimes sometimes they'll be attached to a role that absolutely where like like you said, you know, you look at the door and well you rolled well for your perception check. So even though you can't spot the trap, you you know, you you realize, well, this is something's you know, fishy. something's wrong. Yeah, you yeah, you get that feeling. Like, or so, sticky or I think yeah. of something not to say it's trapped or Yeah. Yeah, but see I've so I've started to do that without requiring it. But the the big one for me was uh, one of the big ones was, you know, that that knowledge thing. So it's like, I'm not, I don't need you to roll a history check every time you're trying to remember a fact. Uh, I'm just going to decide that you that you would or wouldn't know it. But what I do use is I use the litigation system, as my uh, as my friends have come to call it, where, like we talked about before, you know, when you want a, a player is going to persuade somebody or make a charisma check. You know, you'll get them to tell you what their character says, and then obviously we kind of, un- you know, we kind of modify how things work after that. Um, I went a step further. I, I let them litigate. So I, I said, look, you know, um, I'm not sure if your character would know this piece of information about this deity. So explain to me why you would why you would have some obscure no- obscure knowledge, and then I let them create their character's backstory and knowledge on the spot based on what. They think makes like sense, yeah, I do and like then that. I go, okay, yep, that makes sense. You, you know, your character knew you were going to travel the world, so you were really good uh, about, you know, uh, reading all the demonology books before you left or or whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that. Or language, I guess you could do the language too. Like, so, you know, I have uh, another example. Remind me dexterity when you get there. Okay, so no, I say like language. Language could be another good one too. So, uh, you know, how many? Like I said, so uh, you know, how many? random words in spanish or french or italian you know other languages how many random words do you know and would recognize if you had to read them you know i mean i, I can think of probably yeah, a dozen exactly. a dozen spanish words that are just just in the lexicon that people know um you know uh hasta la vista, like hasta la vista yeah. buenos dias uh bienvenidos cucarachas you know cucarachas yeah cucarachas yeah, yep that's that's a one um, hola, you know, mis amigos, like there's, there's probably a dozen phrases that people know that don't speak Spanish. They just happen to know them. Right. So why is it, why, why wouldn't you assume that your character who grew up in a city doesn't know uh, a couple of phrases in Elvish? And then maybe, you know, maybe you hear piece, you know, part of a conversation. It can be a, you know, a good little thing and you don't need to require a role for it. We just decide that you know it. 
So what's your uh, dexterity you, example? You just made me laugh so hard. Why? I'm thinking back in the 80s when we were like 12 and 13 and there were no skill checks. And we would say we'd have to like physically do stuff. Well, you can't run through 12 wear rats. Well, how do you know I can't run through 12 wear rats? And then like seven of us would stand in a hallway and go, try to get through. <laughs> yeah. Show them straight. I, I, no, I, remember, I remember doing that shit too. Like, right, yeah. Anyway. My, so, dexterity, my dexterity example is actually not me as the ref. This is my friend refing, uh, the patron of the camp of the Ravenloft campaign. When he DMs, mm-hmm. we were playing a Sword Coast campaign, um, and I play Quizzle, my crazy ass rogue, arcane trickster that like jumps on everyone and everything. Um, now here's the thing: he jumped on every opponent we met. His whole thing was jump on everyone's head. Or jump on the back of them, or jump on their leg, or jump on their, and um, at, at at times, every time he's like, okay, you need to roll, you know, you need to roll an acrobatics check, you need to roll a. But then what started to happen was, I would make the maneuver more complicated. So now I'm going to jump off the stage and land on this guy. So then he'd say, okay, now you need to roll a successful dex check you know i don't need the dex check just roll a two a successful on on strike like things started to change based on how i started to tell the story mm-hmm. and then even when i had a crappy roll i remember this one time for some reason we're trying to siege this castle or siege this fort <laughs> that we can't really siege like they have us right and Quizzle, you know, the party is like somewhere else, and Quizzle is like running around on the top of the of the ramparts, like a crazy man, crazy gnome, jumping here and there. I get a bad roll, fall, and again, the DM playing to the player character, the character says, "You know, let me give you another dex check, see if you can recoup." That wasn't necessary. That's the same guy I killed in the heart chamber, right? <laughs> um, I mean, so, you know, he's like... Remember me. that time when we were young and I didn't kill your rogue? <laughs> no, this wasn't... This was Don't you owe me? No, no, this was just this was just recent. This was a couple years ago. This isn't that even that young. Oh. I mean, so there are cases when I think, uh, you know, that was a case where he used, you know, this rogue is always doing moves. I can't... I, I don't need to roll this. And I think we got to the point with combat where... He stopped rolling. Like, okay, Quizzle is on a balcony and he's going to jump on this large creature. I'm not going to worry about rolling his dex check for this one. He, he's been doing this every time. Just roll your to hit on this. So I think some of that, um, well, I think sort of, it got built in again, like I said, based on the character and the skill. Right. You I know? mean, I think practice like, makes perfect i like to use that as like a theory yeah the character keeps doing something then maybe they don't need a role for it every time yeah well I'm, so yeah see, well it so here's here's where i fall at so Sorry. um the cost. well if uh i will often i'm at the point now where i'll call I'll, i will call for a role when someone does something that i like i know they can do and i'm like go ahead and roll just uh just to see you know just to see if you get a one, anything, you know, it's, it's just, that's all you're looking for. You know, they roll no one. We're good to go. Cause like you said, I, I know they can do it. Right. Well, that's if it's a scenario where you're okay with that. Just a one coming. Yeah. 
you know, you're not going to say that if you don't want the one to come up. Right. Just now, I think, now, I think if it's, if it's, if it's in, I mean, if it's in combat and you're like, if you're doing it for flavor and you're not looking for any sort of, again, mechanics on it, then I would much rather have, you know, I would much rather have you describe what you narrate, what you do and have it be interesting than, than not. And if you're, if you're not trying to get a mechanical advantage out of it, you're just doing it because it's what you would do. I'm all for it. I don't have a problem with that at all. Oh, folks, we have a we the Cthulhu has risen. We have a guest, and I don't think Mom's awake. Uh oh. <laughs> I, I can see him. He's going for the keyboard. I know what's coming. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to take a little break there. I'm sorry. You no, no, no. You're good. <laughs> no, you're good, man. All right, but good. no, so yeah, so you know, I, I can see that. I I think. Um, well, I'm trying to think what other things I've done is I like, so I, I like I like giving giving it up for the skills. I like people being able to get you know you know build that backstory as they go for free. Um, and I like the, I like the I like the narrative elements of that. And again, I might call for a role, or, or I've also started doing a thing where I'm like, all right, well, we'll see what the you know we'll we'll check the fate of the gods here, you know, and have them kind of you know basically give me a coin flip, right? Mm-hmm. But. Um, Staying away from the rules, I think the big things I do are the, are the like I said, the knowledge things I do, and then um, not making checks for, uh, you know, being aware, looking at things, you know. So some of the skills. I'm trying to think of other good examples, other good examples of that, but I don't know that I got any. No, and as I said, like I think of the dexterity example. Um, oh, I have a recovery. Hang on a second. Sorry about that. Oh, no. That's the chaos. Yeah, I, I think of dexterity as, as one that always comes up. And then I guess, uh, you know what? I can say this. They, oh, I thought, I, just thought, I thought of the other thing that I do, too. So, sorry, go ahead. I do have a character in one campaign we've been playing. Um, it's the Vecna. Vecna mm-hmm. in, the, in the end or whatever. Hand of Vecna, yep. This character has a lot of history and law and language knowledge. And uh, it's gotten to the point, too, where it's sometimes it's like, well, everyone just gives it to me now. Like, no one's going to roll because they know I have a 28 or whatever. And then the DM's like, oh, yeah, he's the guy that does that. So I think some of that gets built into the campaign mm-hmm. um, a lot of times as well. Uh, so I, I just thought of another example. Yeah. Uh, no, the... Uh- the other one that I do, and it's, um, we talk about, I hit on it briefly last time, talking about the, uh, you know, persuasion or, or deception, you know, asking the character to describe what, you know, what they say, tell, tell, you know, tell me what you say, what's your line, and then, you know, uh, oftentimes people will like, oh, that's fucking terrible, and they penal, like they kind of penalize you for it, but I, I do it a lot the other way, where... Um, if you can't, if you can't think of anything, if you're not, if you're not that kind of person, that's fine. You get, you know, you still get your, you still get your role and everything, right. but I'm a yeah. firm believer. If so, if, if a player comes up with some fucking epic shit, like, you know, like yeah. a lot, a, like a lie that I would believe or, uh, you know, a reasoning that I would, that I'm swayed by. Like at that point, I'm like, I don't like, no, like you, like you convince me and I'm going to reward you. I'm not making you roll this. All right, so we let's we talk about different checks. How about that 
hide at that hide bonus action um i feel like i never i never interpret that right you know those rogues come out they make their attack and then they do their hide action mm-hmm. they're really supposed to roll a stealth check right well so it's and, it's and, and, it's a two-part thing so they have to be able to they have to be they have to be able to uh move without being seen to go hide so um, outside of a halfling hiding behind somebody else, which is a little dodgy, because obviously if I saw you step behind your friend, I, I know you're behind your friend. But if you're in an open room, like you can't just walk over to a, a corner and hide. Like they they can see where you're going, <laughs> so you don't get a roll in that case. So you got to have that's why you got to have some sort of obstruction or obscurement, so that the person yeah, can't just watch even, where you go. But even then, even if there's an obstruction or obscurement. Then what's the case? Then okay, so if there so if there's like a light fog or dark or dim light, uh, or there's you know you're in a forest with trees, there's pillars, whatever. If there's some means for them to get out of the line of sight and then maneuver around where they may not be seen, then that's when you get the stealth roll. Right, but it's not like an auto hide because then that creature gets a perception check to see yeah well and this is where and this is where you this is this is where you would you would use the active stealth roll against the passive perception of the of the monster now obviously if you're if you're in bad conditions and you know you have a couple fighters that are in this thing's face and the rogue kind of sneaks away um they certainly you know i I certainly would uh, yeah, penalize yeah, the, the no, penalize no, the no. passive perception of the of the target because they are obviously doing Indeed. something else. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, I think I, I think I've done the opposite too. Where if it's just one creature and they're trying to hide behind a column, and that creature's already been after you, it's kind of a it's a whole other scenario. Yeah. Uh, than five things attacking you. Yeah. But no, that's a good example because that that's one of those things where I would not use a mechanic for it. So yeah, if you know. Yeah, so like if you yeah, so if if you you know, if you if you're just in, a, in an open room with a you know, a couple of cardboard, you know, a couple of boxes and the bad guy can clearly see you, they're not really threatened by your allies and you're like, "Ah, oh, I disengage, fall back 20 feet, and then I hide." I'm like, "Yeah, okay. Don't no, no, they're like, think, nope, you fail. He watched you go there." I can think of another one. Um, the the immutable um, the impassable uh, constitution check against a dreadful presence of some creature when the dreadful presence of a creature's dc like out dc's what you can even roll mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can actually do i think i've operated outside of that um in some cases um, so this would be so back to my core kind of point this would be a an, a non-mechanical rule that you would establish with your players you say look um if there's a scenario, these, these are some of my notes. If there's a scenario that logically makes sense, I'm going to rule that things happen the way that makes sense. So, for example, if your third level party is is chilling in the woods and a fucking ancient dragon, uh, you know, flies by and uses frightful presence, like I'm not like I, technically you get you get a saving throw. I'm like I'm not giving you a save. There's no there's no way. Your your day one noob is going to be like I'm not afraid of you, Vorigal, the <laughs> smoking terror, slayer of a thousand ships. Like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. But but in the same respect, it can't be an encounter with that creature, and no one can like 
look at it to fight it, then it's like, what? What has this turned into? Well, this is this. So I'm saying this way. You just you would establish this non-mechanical rule early that if there, there are some, you know, if there are things that are, you know, only if there are some things, if there are things that are only possible for you to do if you roll twenty. And even then, you wouldn't be able to get anywhere near the DC of it. I'm just going to narrate the failure. We're not gonna. We're not gonna go through the roll, type thing. Right. Right. And then, and then you set up another scenario where they get another chance or another opportunity. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Same thing. It's not giving them any any. Uh, oh, you're calling it player uh, mechanical advantage. Any agency at that point, you've taken all their agency away too. Well, no, you no, no. In that case, you're just taking away a dice roll that they're gonna ninety nine percent fail anyways. Be, it's it still feel like they, to them they probably feel like you've taken it away from them. So. All right, fair enough. I just had I had one more that popped into my head right there, um, and then I, it, it it was fleeting because it's late. Yeah. Um, is it gone? Did it, did you lose it? No, no, no. Well, no. It's 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 again. It's the it's the idea of if the way the uh, way things logically work. So, um, logic trumps mechanics in the game. Verisimilitude trumps trumps the mechanics. So, like you know that that's kind of my the guiding principle of it. So if something comes up that it just makes sense, right? Then we're gonna then we're gonna we're gonna that's gonna happen. We're gonna go with what makes sense. Not going to force, you know, hand wave something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Did you have a specific example, or you just? That's I mean, I'm trying. I, I'm trying to I think. think of, I think of puzzles. Right. You know, sometimes if you have a very simple puzzle, sometimes you just want your table to do it, and like whatever player solves it, their character solved it, and you didn't need a roll. It was just fun to solve the riddle. Or they solve it together as a team because that's the way you set it up, and and no rules. Right. Sometimes, so this is all you need. Uh, you know, it's it's like we were talking about with the watches, you know, that that whole it's something different uh, really adds to the game. Yeah, that little esoteric difference can really touch it up. But that I think that's a good example of the one you're talking about. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a fair point. So All right, I well, say, before we close up, I want yep. I want to say a couple of things. Uh, Facebook, we made yep. it up to 615 followers. Oh, so nice. Thank you. To all our followers and all our listeners, if you're still uh, with us on the podcast, uh, I was a little shocked that, um, you know, Wizards didn't and Hasbro, they, they didn't reach out to us and come on our show. You know, <laughs> like they picked certain people to go on their shows that already have, you know, all this viewership and then make them all look like professionals and everything. And like, what about yeah. us little guys? Like we're a little shitheads. Well, I was, so, uh, I was, I was going to say, since you're on that topic, um, <laughs> for my, for the things that I hate this week, I was going to go with my job. Um, cause it's fucking up my gaming schedule. But, um, I was watched, I watched a video earlier talking about the Apollo, the, the, uh, the PR tour by, um, um, the produ- the D and D producer guy. Who's- I'm not even saying his name. F him. Yeah, but going going around, he has actually caused more damage with some of his responses than was already existing. So oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. So so yeah. So here's some of the highlights of the, of the yeah, shit that he I, said. I, I started watching him on Bob. Yeah. And Bob started drilling him one way, and then I started watching him on Jenny D, and I was like, God, I feel like I'm watching The View. 
And I just said, I don't want to entertain any of them because, you know, us us at Dungeon Studios, we just said we're just keep doing our products. We yep. didn't we didn't sway or everyone was freaking out and blah blah. We just said we're gonna keep going, and and the, it's just more BS is what they turned it yep. into. I can't believe. So tell me, he 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 put his foot in his mouth. Oh yeah, oh, oh dozens of times. Well, yeah. So the uh, so that's yeah. The thing that I hate this week is we're back to Wizards of the Coast. Uh, this guy in particular, because I don't know if he's fucking up because he's reading the corporate talking points, and they're like, "You got it, you got it, you got to hit these five these things in your in your discussion," and then he's trying to fill in conversationally the talking points, and he's and he's fucking up, or if this is just a glimpse into the culture that and the ideology they have there, but. Amongst the highlights of the dumb shit he said was, yeah, I tell you what, I can't, uh, I tell you what, white men can't leave this game fast enough. I do. And, <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, cause this, this is the thing. I, uh, being, being generous, right. I'm, I'm, assu- I'm assuming that they were making the point that they, that they had already preceded before this controversy came out that, you know, old school gamers are, a bunch of old white racist dudes and we hate everything. We don't like change and we don't like diversity, all that kind of stuff. Right. I'm sure that's probably, that's probably the talking point. And in his mind, he thought that sounded like a good way to, to illustrate the talking point that they want more diversity in the gaming community. And I'm like, what a fucking, like what a dipshit. First of all, now can I answer a question? Did I get out of that, that they're going to have, they're going to have, an OGL for all the versions now that people can use. The um, they're going to have. They're going to have a sixth edition one. A hundred percent. It's going to have its own. So D and D, D one will have its own. No, 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 no. I, 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 I heard something like, like uh, more open licensing for first edition and second edition, so those creators can make more products for that stuff too. Now. Hmm. I don't know. And, and they, seem, they seem very scared of AI. Yeah. Like it's going to get them a date or something. Well, it's well, it's well, it's because their content is so shitty that even AI can do better than they do. That's what I think it is yeah. too. <laughs> but I mean, like I said, I know they're I know they're going to have some draconian thing for for D and D next or D and D one when it comes out. Um, now, there's, go ahead, go ahead. There's go ahead. no they uh, supposedly they put all the. All the important shit is uh, in like Creative Commons now for D and D five E. I didn't. I was kind of burnt out on it by the time that came around. I'm like, all right, like they they're backpedaling. They're gonna do a bunch of shit. Like they got they got busted being scummy. So it's game well, over for and, them. And and then I feel like they. I, I don't know. I just think the whole thing. They know there's a YouTube audience, and mm-hmm. they, they they just pandered. They they pandered to it. You know, it's like, well, if nobody's gonna. I mean, don't you have your own videos? Like, <laughs> well, this is the thing is, but here's the thing. So I think, uh, so the other, so the video, so the other thing that they were doing was talking about how they uh, they could never go back to to Dark Sun because it's problematic. Like, okay, go fuck yourself. Like, whatever. Well, now, now talking about problematic, uh, Professor Dungeon Master uh, used Dark Sun as one of his examples. They did the. They covered the story. Did you see the story about the um, uh, animal free? Uh, animal yeah. Oh, free. that was yes. That was another one. The meat free one. Yep. Now, now 
I have to say this. Professor Dungeon Master made some very good points. And he asked everyone not to like jerk and, you know, comment. You know, and, and the player mentioned they were like not comfortable with. See, know, and, and, let me finish. Yep. I, I don't want this cut off. And, you know, and, and everyone around the table talked about it. And you know what? They're all cool with it. So that's cool because here's the thing. What if this person like puts animals to sleep as their job? And the last thing they want to do is come and like have animals dying because that's what they just did two minutes ago. They watched a real animal die. Like, I think you always have to consider what people want at session zero. And that, that's, that was really his point. It was just the headlines are so sensational. My thing is, and this goes back to our DM shortage and blah, mm -hmm. and blah, and blah. Okay. These people who write these articles are just like randomly pulling stuff off Reddit. That's what bothers me. It's not really a real D&D story. They're reading something random on Reddit that has a good flashy headline and that's becoming the top stories. And that's bothering me because that's like the DM shortage was just a comment someone made on Reddit. Uh, yeah. The of the story. Someone made a comment on Reddit about you know, they're going to have an animal free. Because here's the thing. I have a friend in our campaign, Greg. Greg, I love you, my, my man. Greg's an amputee because of a motorcycle accident. Well, here we are. This is the guy who the, the ranger's trying to kill, right? The, the, Kendra and Leah, right? We go back to my Ravenloft campaign. Well, his enemy lost his foot. It was a random dice roll. Was I going to change the random dice roll, what limb this person rolled because Greg lost his foot? I mean, you could, but... I could, but I felt like, you know what, this is the role. This is the role we're going to deal with. We're going to deal with it. And, you know, we talked about it later, and Greg was like, I'm glad you didn't change the role. Yeah. Well, this is my thing. This, this is what I was... The same thing. It's the same thing as, like, picking the wrong staircase. I actually said what numbers everything was, mm -hmm. and then rolled it, and then said, oh, it was put. Like, that's the way it went. I, I couldn't go back and say, oh, no, I didn't roll. No, I rolled a five. Yeah, no. This is this this that it's article. Like this is exactly what I, I talked. I said this like two months ago when I was when I was ranting about the, this horse shit with them. What and what did I say? I go. My problem with it, it. I don't have a problem with you being sensitive to something at your table. And again, everybody's there to have a good time, so I get it. What I have a problem with is that if you codify this horse shit into the into the game and the the community and the the kind of the social contract what you're going to get is you're going to get people that use that to club people into changing their game to fit them that's what that story is she it's there it's uh it, the process is called normalization right where in order to get along people will agree to change what they're doing for the benefit of one you know of a small of one or two people and then that becomes normal. So if you have a, a a full family and your daughter goes, I'm vegan now. I'm not eating any food that is made with animal products. And the family's got a choice, right? Make her her own food separately. Shop for her own menu. Or just allow, well, okay, well, we'll stop cooking things that you can't eat. And then all of a sudden, she, the whole family's now vegan because she's vegan. Because they allowed her to to club them into changing how everyone else acts, yeah. and it's and this it's the same thing with the with the table, and I think it's the same thing with the community. 
at large is that they keep shoving that shit down there and people just accept it and they roll over for it and it's going to lead to major problems down the road all right now so here's one interesting one on on our facebook okay so our facebook page uh uh i guess it was two weeks ago i shared uh the uh who's who's who win uh fantasy ufc the united fantasy yeah Right, and I had Elric versus Conan. Right, mm-hmm. so I had to let you know that that uh, meme is still climbing. We're up to twenty thousand views. Really? Yes, and we're almost at two thousand comments. No and, shit. Yeah, no shit. And now here's the other thing that I found really, really intriguing about it because I've been really following them all too as we go through it. Mm-hmm. Man, it's still split. Some people are Conan. Some people are Elric, and everyone's like got their reasons too. Like people are like, no, Conan is the barbarian that kills wizards, whether mm-hmm. he's got a magic sword or not. And then, and then some people are going into like uh, uh, Elric's girlfriend Samurl, and you know he's gonna have to get back to Samurl. And then, and then people have the they're gonna team up. They team up because the gods are always messing with them. So they and then and then someone else had one. They both get killed by the gods. Just kill them. Have, uh, one ending. Uh, Stormbringer goes to Conan. Just says F Elric, um, and it's really good. And and here's the thing: you want to see the best write-ups from all the different pages. I have been compiling at our Facebook page. Neat. So I've been like, where all the different ones pop up, I, I copy them, and then I'm actually giving those people credit. Um, the other thing I found out really interesting is I'm also sort of illuminating some of the folk to uh, old, you know, old classics that people had no idea about. People had no idea about Conan and Grom and uh, Moorcock. Someone thought Moorcock was dead. You know, and then someone else was like, no, he's 83. And then I noticed in one of them, they had a huge discussion about Michael Moorcock opened up. Mm-hmm. Another one, you know, a huge discussion about Conan opened. Someone uh, sent me uh, a, I think it's a 2.5 sheet for Conan, uh, sent it to Dungeon Studios. So it's kind of neat to see the community kind of like latch on to stuff like that and get all involved. All right. Well, now if we can just get peel off a few of those people to listen to us when we ramble on the internet, it'd be well, way better. More, there's one more out there now, and you got to look for it. It is your player combat score. Player. Right? Com- oh, I saw that. I, I saw your. I saw that card. Yeah, yeah. That one's going around now. So I like the. I like the. I like that matchup idea though. Like who would win? So I mean, we got to come up with some more, some more of those. That are... I, I have one going out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you live. We have not shared it yet. Yeah. Yes, I have Gandalf versus Merlin. Yeah. It is, it is sitting in our Facebook page. I have not shared it out yet because I was really waiting for the whole Elric, Conan to die down, um, and and I've also been a little bit apprehensive because when are you crossing the D and D not D and D line? Um, All right, well, here's, here's one you got to do because I f- hate the character and I, I can't wait to get involved in it. Uh, I want to see, see Aragorn with Narsil against Dristu Erden. Oh, that's a good combo. No, I like that one. I like yep. that one. I also like so the- I can shit on Drist every chance I get. I can't stand that character. I, also, I was also thinking of um, 
a good robot one, like have Robbie versus uh, some other robot, uh, maybe from like Lost in Space or something. I don't know. I, I, I've been thinking a couple. Oh, there's. I did circulate. Not a lot of not a lot of response. Red Sonia versus Xena. That's because I don't think. Mo- okay, look, you got to be fucking super nerdy to to have watched Red Sonia. Super nerdy. Well. I mean, if you read Conan, I would think you know Red Sonja. So you would you would think, but that movie was not that well received. And then Xena, oh. Xena is a is again is, a, is another. I those shows are cheesy as all get out. But I, <laughs> I when I, I they were cool when I was a kid. My I, and of course my favorite character is Italicus, the King of Thieves from Xena, right, it's Bruce right, Campbell. Right, right. But um, but those a, things those things are corny as shit, man. So I don't like that's. <laughs> You're not. You got like that's what I'm saying. That that Driss versus Aragorn one that'll get you some hits because that is there are there are people that fucking go hard for the stupid for for Drist hard okay. and then you okay. got the obviously you got the Lord of the Rings community, um, you know, big on their thing. So and then I was trying to think of some good vampire vampire versus vampire uh, kind of uh, spinoffs, but none of them seem too good uh, to put face to face. But man, nothing like the Elric Conan, and and people would just come on and say, "Nope, it's Conan. Nope, it's Elric." And then, two thousand votes, and it's been split. It's really cool to see uh, everybody jump in. So, hey, everybody, jump over to our Facebook page, like, follow, share, subscribe. Uh, Dungeonstudios.co. Check out our Enron Chronicle. Get our free one-page adventures. Check check out. Oh, dude! So 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 we have a we have a we have a insomniacs hour. We have a late a late arrival to. Uh, yeah. uh, we do. They said hi to you. Uh, hey. They threw out some stuff, but uh, he's throwing out there Johnny Five versus Wally. That's there you go. Ooh, that's a good one. That is a good one. I like. Yeah, that. but uh, do they have any weapons though? I, no, it's just it's it's like UFC. It's just whatever it is. It's a free for all. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you can go robots on all these Dungeons and Dragons websites. I mean, oh, I, th- I think there's some crossover there. There is some crossover. There is some crossover. Uh, he says, "Tell him memorable." Says hello. Oh my gosh, Adam! What's up, buddy? Oh my gosh. He's running game night at his local library. He's like a star down there. What's up, bud? Oh, nice. God, I love him. Well, welcome to the show. You get a shout out for our for well. I think last time I checked, I think we were getting like eighty, like sixty to eighty people downloading the uh, the podcast to listen to. So that's pretty good. So uh, hopefully, uh, when we dump out the last, nice. Hopefully, when we dump when we dump out the last couple episodes, we'll get a uh, we'll get. We can keep that going because, like I said, we're off. We're off a week because uh, because I suck at editing things, pretty much. <laughs> and we would we would have had one out the other day, but uh, Josh, uh, I we don't have I didn't have space in the drive for it because there's like I have ten gigabytes of stuff that has to be oh, transferred. People, too much tech, man. Too much tech. All right, so next week, yeah, sorry. Um, I hope to have uh, another guest with us. Our guest DJ DM Kaz, okay. who's going to be with us earlier, but. He sort of had a little uh, some stuff go on in his life, need a little break. Yeah, so he reached out to me just before we went on tonight. It was like, hey, can I go on? So uh, hopefully we'll have Kaz the DM with us. Uh, he's on Instagram and Twitter and Twitch. Nice. Uh, he'll be on with us next week. Wonderful. Kind of cool too. All right, All right, Doc. 
that's the end of the show. Take us home. Oh, man. So remember, no matter how you start out, you always start out odd. But with a little creativity and a lot of effort, you'll always roll with prime advantage. Very nice. And remember, you play tabletop and RPG games because they are unlimited. So why listen to conversations that are any different? This is the game. We've had fun. It's late as fuck. Good night, Internet. Yeah, good night, everybody. Yo, Adam, thanks for showing up, buddy. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for listening. We have a fan. An actual fan. Oh, Lord. I don't know what to do with myself. Hey, we're in Canada. Very nice. (laughs) I love it. Good night, everybody. Good night. One of these days, I'll remember to leave the music on. I am so bad at this. I didn't say it tonight. It's the worst run podcast and live show on the internet. Enjoy our music, guys. Catch you next week.